Dr. Future, your host. I invite you to join me as together we experience a future quake. 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 Welcome to the Future Quake Show. I am Dr. Future. And I am Tom Bionic. And we've got a new week of shows with a new guest. Mm-hmm. And we have a very, very unique, special, and yeah. interesting guest this week. Yes. Uh, Carl, Carl Medeiros, who is the author of Muslims, Christians, and Jesus. Uh, a very popular book that's out now, a very controversial mm-hmm. book. And we're going to talk about the future destiny and proper understanding of Muslim-Christian relations. Yeah. And uh, we have often asked our listeners to um, wait on judgment. Don't judge until you've heard something. Go in with an open mind. This is one I think you need to listen to the whole thing for. But uh, uh, speaking personally, uh, I would say this this interview was probably one of the most moving that we've done here at Future Quake. Mm-hmm. So uh, just 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 hold your judgment a little bit there, folks. Maybe trust us just a little bit on this yeah. one. Uh, if you see things that. Uh, Disturb you at first, wait until you've heard the whole story, uh, pray about it, and then let us know what you think about it. Yeah. But we found this to be a very special week. Me, and uh, yes. we need to go to it, and uh, we'll begin our discussion with uh, Brother Carl Medeiros, and then we'll be right back to wrap it up on Future Quake. This is Dr. Future of the Future Quake Show with, with Tom Bionic. And who's our special guest in studio today? Good evening. This is Pastor Chris Vanover from Calvary Chapel. We have a voice from our past, Pastor Chris Vanover, uh, uh, formerly of our adventure in Toronto yeah. uh, at, our, at our UN trip. And uh, Pastor Chris, it's wonderful to have you here in studio with us. Thanks. It's good to be here. And uh, I know this would be a topic of interest to you, and we'd like to have your insight, so please speak up, uh, both you and Tom. But we'd also like to introduce our guest tonight. Our guest is uh, Carl Medeiros who is the author of a very popular book right now called Muslims, Christians, and Jesus. And we're going to talk today about the future destiny and proper understanding of Muslim-Christian relations. And, uh, Carl, I just want to tell you it's a pleasure to have you on our show and to discuss your book. And it's great to be with you. Well, um, this is going to be a very, very challenging topic to talk about, and I want to speak directly to our listeners uh, that this is a topic that uh, – we all approach with fear and trembling, but we all want to accomplish the same thing. We want to obey our Lord Jesus Christ and love others as he would love them. 
and be a blessing to them as we serve the Lord. And we can all agree on that. And we're going to talk about something that is a real challenge for the church and for us as individuals. And we're looking forward to hearing uh, what your perspectives are, Carl, and what you've learned actually out of serving in the field. And we're going to wrestle with some of this. And uh, I just ask my listeners, they're a very open-minded group, uh, ones that are truth seekers. And we ask you to be patient and uh, let uh, Brother Carl here share with us what uh, his thoughts are out in the field and give us some food for thought to ponder. So if you don't mind, I'm going to just say a really quick word of prayer for us so we get on a right frame of mind, and then we'll proceed through to the questions, if that's okay, Carl. Sounds great. Okay. Uh, Heavenly Father, I just want to thank you so much for the opportunity and the privilege of knowing you. I want to thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. I thank you for our Brother Carl here and his service for the kingdom, Lord, that you've done. Uh, we look forward to hear what he has to say. We ask that you would speak through this situation and this interview, not only to us here in the studio and to Brother Carl, but also to our listeners, and that we would hear truly from you and that we would hear the mind of Christ uh, in what is said. Lord, help us to exhibit uh, love and understanding and uh, searching our hearts and welcome circumspectly in the world as we uh, seek these very difficult topics as we understand how best to serve you. And we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Carl. Well, let's get uh, started in our discussion here. Uh, could you please uh, just kick us off by uh, sharing with us uh, uh, and our listeners a very brief summary of your background and the nature of your service in the Middle East? Yeah, I, um, I'm happily, first of all, most importantly, happily married and have three uh, three children, and we moved to uh, we moved to Beirut in 1992 to, to just to serve the country in the name of Christ. Uh, I guess you'd call that from from a Western perspective. You call you would, would call us missionaries, and mm-hmm. um, we moved over to Lebanon and lived there for 12 years. But before that, even from about 83 to 92, I had been involved in the Middle East, kind of living in and out of uh, various Middle Eastern countries uh, for those years. Got married, my wife and I. And uh, at the time, actually, two little baby girls moved to Beirut in 92 and then had a, our mm-hmm. third child there. So we just – we went over – I mean, actually, to be really honest, we went over there just to do whatever we could find. We didn't we didn't know anybody, didn't know a single Lebanese person. We didn't speak Arabic when we moved there. Uh, the Lebanese Civil War from 75 to 90 had uh, had just finished. It had been over about a year and a half when we came. And so we were total greenhorns. Of course, we thought we knew what we were doing, but – in hindsight, we really didn't know anything, uh, but we just went there to love people and and uh, see what see what would happen. And uh, so that's kind of how it that's how it started. I can give you more detail mm-hmm. about what we did now, or we, I can come out throughout the time together, whatever whatever okay. you prefer. Okay. Um, now I know there there may be some things with certain missionaries in the field that they're at liberty to share, and some they're not able to share. So just you know, make that clear with us if that's the case. Yeah. Uh, are, can you share with us anything? Was there any uh, groups or Christian groups or things you were affiliated with in your time over there, or are you just independent doing Yeah, no, we, we were with a group called Frontiers okay. uh, the years that we were there. Uh, they're an evangelical mission organization. And, mm-hmm. uh, no, we were we were actually always very free in talking about what we did and who we did it with, and, and we're very up, up front and uh, forthright about our, our mission there. Um, we really did – but we had a real job in, in, in that uh, I started and led a humanitarian uh, NGO, non-governmental organization or non-profit mm-hmm. group there that was uh, registered locally in Lebanon. And uh, so that was our actual job. But it was also pretty clear to all of our members and anybody that knew us more than a few minutes that we were there because of Jesus 
we would say that very quickly and mm-hmm. you know very upfront about that. Mm-hmm. So a lot of what we did initially was just kind of working with the poor, doing some work with university students. Um, we started a student center in downtown Beirut that worked with Lebanese students that went to the American University of Beirut, the AUB. And uh, from there, kind of actually started working with governmental leaders in the in the parliament in the region because we we were leading young people to Jesus whose parents were influential leaders. So it was never really our purpose or our uh, you know it was not in any of the uh, goal goals or mission purpose sheets that I ever wrote uh, that we would work with important people. But but that kind of just happened after a few years of being there because we kept leading their sons and daughters to the Lord. So much of the last few years, our ministry has been actually to um, leaders, to political, uh, business, and and uh, cultural leaders around the Arab world. And so that's uh, that's what we're focused on focusing on now. Even though we're back in the United States now, have been for the last few years, for the last four years, have been back here. But we just go back and forth constantly. I just just got back from Egypt last week, and uh, working most of our time now with uh, members of parliament, uh, cabinet ministers, uh, even uh, leaders higher up than that in governments, and uh, sharing sharing the gospel with them. Hmm. Wow. Well, you know, I, I'm familiar with the uh, Frontiers Group, and it certainly is apt for its name. Uh, I was... Yeah. Uh, I, I had actually pursued a position with that organization many, many years ago out of college oh. uh, in another Middle Eastern country. It had a job set up for me in the area, and at the last minute, the door closed. And there were certain oh, things wow. happened that showed that I should go in other directions. But Frontier was really, really cutting edge, and I'm, I'm sure it certainly is at the time. And yeah. uh, it's a fascinating group. Uh, yeah, they're great. Well, uh, why do you think that you received your heavenly assignment that the Lord put on your heart? to minister to Muslims in the Middle East? And, and, and is there any other way you would characterize the nature of your, your mission? No, that's a, great, that's a great way to say it. I, I, I like that. I, I, I hope and trust that it is, in fact, a heavenly assignment. I think he chose me because I'm a knucklehead. I think he looked, <laughs> he, he looked around the world and thought, who, who will be dumb enough to go do this in Beirut, Lebanon, and he found Carl. <laughs> and actually, I think. That's yeah. actually true. You know, uh, some, some, the spare knuckleheads, they make a radio talk yeah. show host. <laughs> they fit nicely yeah. in that paradigm, too. I mean, I have a, I, sometimes people say, Carl, you don't take yourself seriously enough. And I say, oh, no, I, b- believe me, I do. I take myself seriously enough. I, and it's really true. I mean, I, mm-hmm. I think I actually have no no qualifications whatsoever. I grew up in a small town in Nebraska, uh, didn't know anybody from any ethnic group, let alone a Muslim, never met any person of another skin color I thought the whole world was white middle class farmers. You know, that's, mm-hmm. that's my upbringing. And then I uh, moved to Colorado from there. Uh, my dad was a small town pastor kind of all my life. And uh, so my world was actually very narrow, very specific, very Christian, uh, very Western. And um, I uh, made the mistake of joining a group called YWAM, Youth, Youth of the Mission, for a year. I went to Europe. And the mistake was that God opened my eyes to the fact that there are six billion other people out there besides these people that look like me. And that captured my heart when I was 20 years old. And uh, from that time on, I've really never been the same. And I just can't, can't get over I can't ignore the rest of the world. And when it comes to the rest of the world, a big chunk of the rest of the world are people called Muslims, probably 1.4 billion people in the world are, are Muslim background um, 
and so and they're you know this huge group that's been uh neglected for the most part with the gospel uh for for maybe for different reasons but uh, they have been and i think god i think honestly i i don't say this with any false humility or i don't say this facetiously at all i think god really does choose the foolish things of the world to confound the wise and i think uh i'm just kind of a regular old farm boy, just kind of who I am. Not any have a BA in history from the University of Colorado, so no great prestigious degrees. I don't have any Bible college, don't have a seminary, but have a heart for heart for Jesus and a heart for people. And uh, and it's just even most ironic that I'd be working with political leaders or or billionaires. I mean, I work with Saudi Saudi royal family members. I mean, we we work very openly, and and as we go. Through this interview, I think you'll you'll start to learn a little bit more why I can say that I work with those kind of people, whereas most missionaries would never would never even say they've been to Saudi Arabia, for instance. Well, I go there all the time, and we know we know members in the royal family. We know you know King Abdullah of Jordan. I uh, have close friends with with leaders around the Arab world, and that's because the way we approach our ministry is very unique. And it opens doors for us that that others haven't haven't seen open, and I think God's just because of God's grace and His love for Muslims, He's allowed me to get to participate in this wonderful adventure that He's on. Hmm. Well, you know, I know just as much about those people as you do because I read the newspapers. That's right, and exactly. I'm sure they that, tell that me works. everything about them that I need to know. What else do you need to know? Right? Not, yeah, just watch the news and read the paper. <laughs> not that they would, not that they would mislead me or anything, you know. Never, never. It's the well, news. <laughs> what, what a fascinating scenario to take someone of very humble origins that you have, and the Lord would need somebody from a plain, very plain-spoken culture to speak plainly to another culture. That that again, well said. I think you know, there's there's just several things in my background, my upbringing that I that I learned, and part of it was just that it was be be who you are. You can't be somebody else. Uh, tell the truth, have integrity. Um, you know, I, I don't always I don't always dress uh, dress the way I should be dressed. I mean, I'm right now I'm wearing you know baggy jeans that are torn at the bottom of the jeans. I actually had several meetings today in these jeans. I I, I, was, I forget I forget that if I meet somebody important, I'm supposed to dress up, and I end up. Slapping people in the back and laughing and telling jokes that that they think aren't really funny and and just having a good time and, and I find I find that most people, especially people in positions of power, are refreshed by that because everybody else is busy kissing up to them and yeah. and trying to use them and abuse them for some reason. And I just say, you know, I really only have one thing to offer you. I mean, there's really nothing that you want from Carl. I don't have any money or power or fame. Uh, all I have is Jesus. And you can have him or not. I mean, it's up to, I actually don't even care if you have him. You can like Jesus or not like Jesus. You can follow him. You can submit to him. You can do whatever you want with Jesus. I'm just telling you that he's the man. I mean, he's the one that if you knew him, you would want to follow. Mm-hmm. And that's all I have to offer. And I just love, you know, in Acts it says, I think it's, it's Acts 4, Acts 5, where, you know, Peter and John are, are kind of in trouble for preaching. And then it says they noted that these were ordinary and unschooled men, but they had one thing. They had been with Jesus, and that's that's enough. There's nothing more we need. Wow! Praise the Lord! And it's amazing that that simple message is effective in in those spheres. You know, I think of uh, was a blind Bartimaeus that says, "All I know is once I was blind, and now I see." Yeah, yeah. In fact, the simpler we keep our message, the less um, resistance I think it rece- it it, it incurs right. from others. That's right. And, and gentlemen, feel free to jump in. Uh, I, I I want to. Um, 
to move into uh, what were some of the things that once you got involved in the culture and immersed in it, uh, some some of the uh, myths that you had debunked once you immersed yourself in the uh, Muslim and in Middle Eastern culture. And I just want to ask you to be be very patient with some of our listeners. We have a very intelligent listenership here that's well-read, but we, we're over the live airways, and there's a lot of people who some of the things you might say might totally shock them. So be sure when you explain some of these things, clarify really what you've really observed and why as a believer in the Lord. But we'd like to know some of the things that may be quite a bit different than what we hear in our in our media or other channels that you saw in your with your own eyes were quite different about their culture. Well, well, I, I appreciate you even asking that question. Um, you know, I've had quite a few radio, radio interviews, and, um, and typically I don't feel I don't feel that the person who's asking the questions really wants to know what I have to say. And so I, I appreciate the fact that you, you know, you qualify it, ask mm-hmm. me to explain it. But I, and I, I want to say too, I don't mind being wrong. I've been wrong probably more in my life than I've been right. So I think I probably feel strongly about some things right now that are I'll find out in 10 years actually aren't true. So I don't feel very sure. defensive about any of the points that I'll mm-hmm. share with you, you know, today. And and I'd love to have some pushback from from you guys as well and just ask, you know, if I didn't explain it well enough or you disagree, yeah. please just okay. jump in and and. Uh, well, that's how we do me. things around here. That's, that's how we roll yeah. future quake. Good, good. So just let me have it. I I, I love that. And, and I think mm-hmm. also I think I, I sometimes forget what a typical American Christian audience thinks. I mean, I've been living overseas so long, I have lived among Muslims so long, that there are certain things that seem obvious to me that, that clearly are not obvious to other people. So so if I, see, if I just skip on over someone, please bring me back to that. So the question is a big one. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it's a big one. So I can say in some ways there are probably hundreds of things that I think we probably believe about Arabs or Muslims that actually aren't true or maybe partially true, or like I, I prefer to say it, they may sometimes be true, but aren't necessarily helpful. So this is kind of a, a crass example, but sometimes I you know, will say, you know, if you meet somebody for the first time, a new person, you just meet them, and let's say they're, they have a deformity, or they're just, I mean, frankly, just not very good looking, they're overweight, uh, you know, whatever. And you don't go up to them and say, oh, it's nice to meet you, Bob. And by the way, you're kind of ugly. Right. I mean, you know, that might be true. Some people aren't as pretty as other people. But you don't say that you don't say all the truth to everybody all the time. And and we kinda know that, but we forget that. And I think that's one of the biggest mistakes we do with Muslims that we make in especially an in initial engagement with Muslims, is we're tempted to tell them all the truth that we know all at the same time, all up front, all at once. And that actually is very, very unhelpful, especially with Muslims. I think that there are people who have been hurt by the church, and Muslims would be one of those groups who have who have felt misunderstood and hurt hurt by the church. So whether they have been or not, you know, you might want to debate that point. But they they feel that way, really, since the Crusades. And I know it sounds like a long time ago, but a thousand years ago, to an Arab Muslim culture is like the day before yesterday. So. They're still thinking that the cross means death. And we say, amen, the cross does mean death. Mm-hmm, yeah. But it's not what they're thinking. They're thinking that the Christians who carry the cross on their shields are coming to kill them. And uh, that's what happened, you know, a thousand years ago. Well, you know, I think we're not, we're not for that kind of representation of the cross. So, so, so some of the things that I think 
Put so them up are you there. saying then they see the cross as sort of like a battle flag? Absolutely. It's a, it's a battle flag. And actually, if you think about it, even if you've seen you know, any of the modern movies about the Crusades, Kingdom of Heaven, or their, or their movies are you know, just descriptions of the Crusades, you know that the Crusaders typically would have the, a big red cross right. painted right on their shield or on their chest, on their, bre- on their breastplates, and would go, literally go into battle you know, with a cross before them. And, and so now today, when we use mission language that sounds militant, you know, taking over a country for God or fighting spiritual warfare or, you know, all kinds of language that's very militant. We, you and I, we, we understand what we mean by that, I, I think, or hopefully we do. But when somebody hears that from the outside, they don't understand that. They can't, they can't figure out the nuance and the differences between spiritual warfare and what's happening right now in Iraq. For them, it feels like the exact same thing. And so, you know, the prejudice and the hurts and the fears that they have about us are just exactly the same as the ones we have about them. Almost all the fears that we have about Muslims kind of taking over or the Muslim agenda is exactly how Muslims feel about American Christians. Mm -hmm. We we think it's ridiculous because we know what we're thinking, but they actually don't know what we're we're thinking. I, I don't know if that makes sense. That's kind of a... Well, I, if I could, but, if I could relate to that, I, after the wall fell in in uh, Soviet Union, I did some business over there, mm. and and it really debunked a lot of things with me when I found out that they were fearful that we had plans for their country, yeah, you know that we might consider occupying their country. Uh, that's what they were taught. Uh, they also found over time they got very cynical with their government, which mm. I also I could relate to very well. Uh, wow. But there were a number of things like that where they, you know, and it wasn't a religious thing, but it, it was just a, you know, a political ideology kind of thing where they were taught those kind of things. And they were literally much more fearful of us and lost a lot more sleep at night than what we did during the Cold War. Right. And so it's much easier for me to relate to what you're saying as well. Yeah. Too. And I think it's just that, that, that idea, that simple, relatively simple, th- simple thought that if you just sit down and say, okay, you know, God, help me imagine what the other side is feeling. So you, you don't understand, you, even with personal relationships, even if you're having a, a spat with your with your spouse, you know, not, not that any of you would ever not, but uh, I've heard of people before that have had arguments with their spouses. So Yeah, we've you know, heard just, of that too. You've heard of that as well, I'm sure. So <laughs> just like if ever that happened or just with a fight with a friend, you know, uh, just a real helpful exercise is to sit down and just, you know, ask God to give you an imagination about what that person is feeling. You can hardly imagine it. You, can, you can't figure out why they don't see the light, why they don't see the truth, why they don't see it your way. But God, there must be some reason that they're thinking that. Please help me see that. I mean, it's actually a, it's a profound discipline to do in all of our relationships. And I think groups of people who have felt, they've felt hurt by the church, they've, helped, they've felt hurt by Christians, whether they have been or not, they feel that, uh, those people need to be empathized with. You need you need to get into their skin a little bit and say, okay, why 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 does that community feel like we're against them? Are there any legitimate reasons? Can we can we apologize for anything? You know, can we apologize for one percent of what we've done of what we've done? And, and and that just helps with Muslims. That that thought alone will change how you relate to a Muslim. Otherwise, what you do 
even here in America, you see a Muslim walking down the street, you immediately kind of tense up. Let's say you see a Muslim man with a long beard wearing a robe with a thing on his head, and he has three women walking behind him. Now, you don't know those three women are his wives or his friends or his daughters, but you immediately think, oh, look at that. Look at that crazy fundamentalist with his three wives oppressed walking behind him, and he's got a long beard, looks like Bin Laden. And your heart heart starts to beat kind of fast, and you get all nervous and sweaty-palmed. Now, the chances of you actually then sharing anything of the love of Christ with that person are zero because fear has controlled you. So if fear is controlling your thoughts about Muslims, then kind of almost by definition, fear and love can't coexist. Fear wins. You don't speak up. And then the, the Muslim doesn't get to hear about Jesus. If you overcome that, you walk up to the man and say, oh, hi, are you, you look like you're not from around these parts. You know, where, where you're from originally. Can, you know, this is my city. I do live here. I'd like to welcome you. It's so nice to see you. You know, what's your name? The guy will probably immediately start, you know, start to melt and say, oh, thank you. Because well, nobody else has done that because everybody else is afraid of him as well. We're back at the Future Quick Show with Dr. Future. With Tom Bionic. And... Um, that just got us started. Yeah, I think I know. you can tell from the first segment we're off in a little different territory. It's uh, he's zone. got a unique perspective, especially for somebody f- for me who studied. Uh, once I was effectively in, you know, really in the faith and faith and calling myself a Christian publicly, I went and sort of studied all the theological like underpinnings. This is what this group believes, and this is what this group believes, and uh, I don't. Originally, I thought maybe this person would be a little bit soft on the gospel. Turns out he's not. You wanted to, but I mean, you you felt like you had a duty to our listeners as well as yourself. Yeah. The, oh, yeah. To know where somebody's wanted, coming from. I felt, you know, in doing my research, I almost felt a certain conviction that I needed to defend uh, us and the listeners from something he might say. And it turns out that I didn't know what I was talking about. Well, join the club, buddy. You remember my life verse, Job 42.3. I know not of which I speak. Yeah. I show that all the time here. Tattooed on my eyelids. (laughs) Uh, Ladies and gentlemen, you you may think, what in the world do we see about all this? Uh, Listen through to the whole interview. We've just done it in its conclusion. Uh, We found it to be very moving and uh, found it to be very consistent with the kind of things we talk about here on the show and sort of tied in a lot of elements. So we have to go. So first we need to bring in our friend Merv to tell you how you can get a hold of us at FutureQuake. FutureQuake radio broadcasts are archived at www.futurequake.com, suitable for downloading or streaming, as well as other show information. Email Dr. Future and Tom Bionic at drfuture at futurequake.com. That's D-R-F-U-T-U-R-E at futurequake.com. Tell us your name, city, and radio station or Internet, and if we can use your name on air. Comments on the show's topics or guests or suggestions for future show topics or guests are most welcome. Dr. Future and Tom will discuss selected emails each week during the radio broadcast. Okay, we're in the last 10 seconds or so. Any okay. comments? No, just listen tomorrow, too. Okay. Keep listening this week, and then we want to hear back from you what you think. Until then, we hope your future is very bright. Have a wonderful day. Shukran. Join us next time as we dare to experience another aftershock of a future quake.
Welcome to the Tuesday edition of the Future Quake Show. I am Dr. Future. And I'm Tom Bionic. And uh, also, you know, we didn't mention yesterday, uh, by the way, our interview uh, this week is with Carl Medeiros, mm-hmm. the author of Muslims, Christians, and Jesus, Yeah. talking about the future destiny and a proper understanding of Muslim-Christian relations. But I uh, also want to thank uh, our dear friend, Pastor Chris Vanover, yeah, for I'm setting in. Yeah, I'm in. I felt all day, you know, I felt like a need for some spiritual guidance or whatever. And uh, I'm glad he was here to... You know, to add his perspective, you know, mm-hmm. his wife, I believe, was, you know, she let on that she mm-hmm. was Arabic mm-hmm. as well. So. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and he is a uh, he is a good mentor for us and pastor. Very uh, much so. For he's us. Like, he's like the Bible answer guy, you know, for me personally. It's phenomenal. But, yeah. And uh, he has a real heart for God and a very loving oh, yes. heart. And yes. uh, we, we just appreciate him being here. We want to make sure we acknowledge him. And we thank our listeners for uh, being very patient on a controversial interview. Mm-hmm. We only cover about 25% of the questions we had prepared in this interview. Yeah. I think we got two. Yeah, we let this gentleman <laughs> we let this gentleman talk because we were both since God moving and what he had to say in a big way. So we'll leave I, it at that. I, I don't mind telling our listeners that at one point I had tears in my eyes. Yeah, I really do. And we did not expect that. This is a different Very response than what we expected. So we, we, we encourage you that if, if you have an initial pre-thought about this, that you, you restrain that until you hear to a conclusion. Just and listen. The Lord Keep speaks an open to you. mind. That's right. Yeah. All right. We gotta go to listen to Brother Carl and we'll be right back and finish up your own future quick. I, yeah. I recommend everybody go to a foreign country at least once where you don't yeah. know the language and just try to get around yeah. and feel helpless. Yes. And see people of very different culture that all seem like they fit with each other around themselves. And you'll have a little taste of what it's like for people That's like right. that in, in that culture. You, you know, this this reminds me what you're saying here about um, what, what I think is probably my life verse. You know, where people say they have a life verse, a ministry verse. And I believe mine is something to the effect of, I think it's uh, Job 42.3. Uh, I speak that of which I do not know. <laughs> because I find most of the time when I get all authoritative on certain this or that or whatever, I find out that's when I have to end up, you know, uh, eating some crow because I, I don't it. often understand what's going on behind the scenes with other people or situations or things. And and so uh, it seems like to me what you're saying is that extend some measure of dignity to people, that they're that's human right. beings. You're not there to exploit them as a, as a notch on your Bible. They're human beings with intelligence in thoughts, and they have a background, they've had influences that are not yours. That's right. But who they've become was very logical based upon the influences they've received to date. And that right. when you come to them, there are two cultures that are clash, clashing, and love is the only way for them to coexist and be progressive. Did you want to That's comment, right. uh, Pastor Chris? Uh, yeah, Dr. Future, this is something that has been uh, really dear to uh, my wife and I, and I was just listening to Carl talk about how the, uh, especially Americans treat people from other countries. You know, if you look at the Law of Moses and you read, God made many, many references to how we treat the foreigner in the land. Right. And it's yes. very important that we uh, extend hospitality and kindness to people because, like you were saying, if you've ever been in a place where you're at the disadvantage, you don't understand, you don't understand the idioms, the cultural uh, things that are going on, how to even ask for directions or whatever. One of the most rewarding things that my wife and I were ever able to participate in when I was a pastor in West Virginia was we were close by to a school that had 1,500 foreign students 
that came over. And uh, those kids, uh, they were coming over 17, 18, 19 years old, and some of them were pretty helpless. And we were able to reach out to them, bring them into our homes to live with us, to stay with us, to come over for meals and that. And I still get calls from all over the world from these kids and their families because we just said, hey, you know, we know you're lost and, you know, you need a place. You need to come over for a meal, come over for some fellowship and that. And I think especially in these days when we have so many people that have come to our doors in America that the Christians in this country have a tremendous opportunity. All you have to do is go to Walmart and yeah. you, can, you can see people right. right here in any city like here in Nashville where you can talk to folks and you can just say, hey, how are you doing? Just like you know, Carl says, just show some kindness. And I think the Lord will take over mm-hmm. from there. And really, our own our own Lord shows the example in this. He gives everyone dignity, even though with the being who He is, He He has no need to have to do that. That's but he, right. He shows an example of treat, treating all of us, giving us uh, uh, our wills, uh, giving us an opportunity to make decisions, and uh, not being overbearing or excessively coercive in what That's He does. Right. And it really sets the role model. And and when you look at the ministry of Jesus, uh, Jesus chose personally to hang out with people of different cultures, and he dealt in an air of respect to them when he was with them. Right. Uh, he did not talk down to them. Uh, he challenged them to be the, their best selves, but he did that to everybody. That's right. But uh, mm-hmm. So I- any any other things that you uh, that, that strike you that, that were really debunked well, from what you thought when you were there? You know, in, in some ways I've, I've kind of talked around the, the original question of just, you know, what was it that surprised me or what myths were busted? You know, think of the Discovery Channel Mythbusters uh, show. You know, was this myth busted or was it confirmed? And I think uh, – uh, in, in many ways, almost, I think maybe I didn't have anything right. Uh, probably all that I believed about Muslims were a myth, uh, other than they need Jesus. So, you know, I haven't become haven't become a universalist by living among Muslims. You know, so I still believe that that Jesus Christ is the way, and there aren't many ways. And so he's he's the one that saves Muslims, and and actually he's the ones that ones that saves Christians as well. So, you know, we all we all need saving, and no religion. No religion does that for us. So it's a person. So I think that 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 helped for him. Other than that, you know, I think I think we've been being really nice, and and, and so far any listener would be saying yes, yes, they agree. So let's say something controversial. You guys ready? Lay it on us. Okay, we got to see that. You, you ready for some fun? <laughs> Allah is God. Allah is the word for God in Arabic. So I think this is one of the biggest. And most destructive of all the myths that we have about Muslims is that Muslims worship a demon or a moon god or I don't know. There's all kinds of crazy uh, things out there to to make to make sure we don't you know agree with Muslims that we're worshiping the same god. So the word Allah is the only word for God in Arabic. So all Christians, all Christians in the Arab world, actually even in pre-Islamic times, have prayed to Allah. So it's kind of like saying it's kind of like asking the question: Is Dios the god of the Spaniards or is Dios the word for God in Spanish? I mean, it's a huge difference. So I think I think for sure we'd say that you know Dios isn't a Catholic God because Spaniards are Catholics. Uh, no, Dios is God in Spanish, and a Catholic who's worshiping God in Spain is trying his or her best, based on the knowledge they have, to worship God. And if, if they need to be introduced to Jesus, Jesus in a more personal way, then, then great, then they need that. So a Muslim, I'm not saying a Muslim is effectually worshiping God, because I think a Muslim has an incomplete understanding of who God is. But to say Allah is another God is a, is a, is a different argument. So it's well, let me, let me, let me make sure argument. I understand you, uh, Carl. 
does that mean that a Muslim would look at the God that Jews and Christians worship when they're worshiping? They say that they are worshiping Allah as well? Yes. Oh, absolutely. I, I mean, I, I've never heard a Muslim say that Christians or Jews worship a different God. Now, they, now if they're serious or maybe a more fundamentalist Muslim, they might say that, you know, a Christian or Jew needs to worship God properly the way they do. You know, they mm-hmm. might say that, I, although most Muslims I've met in my 25 years working with Muslims are, you know, very universalistic. I mean, yeah. few Muslims will say that all Christians and Jews are going to hell. I've, I've heard maybe, I mean, that maybe two Muslims in my whole life out of the thousands mm-hmm. that I know have ever said that. They, they say things like, you know, if you're a good Jew, good Christian, and if you worship God the best you can, you know, God is compassionate and merciful, and he'll, he'll figure it out in the end with the scales, and he'll, he'll weigh your deeds and all that. So they're mm-hmm. kind of, they're very, very workshop. Mm-hmm. But, but I think the crux of the matter on the God thing is, if you ask a Muslim, do you believe in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? Yes. Do you believe in the God that created the heavens and the earth by his word? Yes. Do you believe in the God that created you and me that sustains life by the power of his word? Yes. Do you believe in the God of Jesus? Do you believe in the God of the Bible? Uh, is God omnipresent, omnipotent, omniscient? All those omni words? Yes, yes, yes. Okay, so then, well, it sounds exactly like our God, so what is it we don't like? Well, we don't like it because we actually don't want to give another group that we're having a hard time with politically, we don't want to give them any credence. And so I think there's a political issue in our heart. It's kind of hard for us to deal with the thought that maybe Muslims are trying, I'm trying to say this very carefully, Uh so they're trying their best to worship the one true God, just like Jews are. I asked people, I was with a friend just last week who just... He was so angry with me when I suggested this. And I said to him, I said, you know, I don't mean to be too personal here, but do you think, do Catholics worship the same God? He said, oh, yes. Okay, so do Jews worship the same God? Well, yes, of course. Okay, so just to be clear, Jews and Catholics worship the same God, uh, but Muslims don't. That's correct, he said. Uh, based on what do you think, that? Well, he just thinks that. You know? and yeah. so, <laughs> you, I think that's a hard one to overcome for people, right. but I think it's very helpful right. if, you can get that, if you can get your head around that. Hey, Pastor Chris, did you want to say something? No, no. I'm oh, I'm sorry. No, I'm sorry. I was looking at Cormac. Uh, that's a very interesting food for thought. Tom, did you want to share? Well, I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit torn in that, in that, you know, having been to the Middle East and spent time there, as well as here talking to other Muslims, when we talk about Allah in both, in both cultures, uh, it seems that it's universally understood that we're talking about, well, they may, they may hold the, hold the uh, the Bible, both the Old and New Testament, as holy books. Uh, the common belief is that they've been corrupted, and that typically the the Quran is 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 the way to go. As an addition yeah. to to all of this, so I I don't know. I'm I'm still trying to wrap my head around your earlier your earlier thing. And to me, that well, seems well, like if that's the way you're going to define Allah, then that there's I'm not sure if the definition of terms is entirely accurate. So, so, so let me ask you. Let me ask you th- uh, these two questions. So, th- th- just want to make sure that you you've got this at least this part right. That sure. you would you would agree, uh, based on what I've said or what you probably already know, that that Arab Christians when they pray when they worship they pray to Allah. So you you, you agree with that? Uh, the Arab Christians that I have met uh, do not call call God Allah. Well, no. If they're speaking the Arabic, they do 100 percent of the time. If, if an Arab Christian is speaking Arabic is singing in their Baptist, Presbyterian, Assemblies of God, Brethren Church in Beirut, they would worship Allah, my, my uh, 100% is, of the time. 
My wife and I have had this discussion uh, countless times. Uh, she's fluent in Arabic, by yeah. the way. And yeah. um, some of the uh, Arab Christians that we know actually refer to uh, him as, they refer to Jesus as Allah Jesus hmm. when, they, when they pray. So they try to right. make, it, make it clear that, you know, where, where it says in, I think, Colossians, where it says, in him uh, dwelt all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. You know, they right. They make that distinction that Jesus Christ is Emmanuel. He is Oh yeah. He is yeah. God. That's right. They would they would do that. They would also call. Um, there's another word for God, which is Rab, which means Lord. You know, which we also have in English. We have, you know, we have, uh, you know, we have Jesus, and in, in the Bible you read the word Jesus, and so we know that He's also Emmanuel, God with us, or that Jesus is God. But we don't say Jesus God, but we know Jesus is God. We know He's Lord. We might call Him Lord. You know, when you're praying, you might call Him Father, or you might just call Him God. So when Arab Christians pray to God. They they all prayed. I mean, I've been in I've been in this for 25 years. I speak Arabic fluently. I've spent thousands of hours in church worshiping God. You know, worship services, singing uh, Calvary Chapel, Vineyard, you know, Hosanna, uh, Maranatha. You know, worship songs that they translated into Arabic. Every one of them says Allah. So on, on a semantic level, so this is this actually isn't a very good argument, by the way. The argument I'm giving you right now actually isn't very deep. It's a real shallow. Right. It's just saying semantically. So it doesn't get down to meaning, because that's where the real, the real argument, of course, is the mm-hmm. meaning of the word. But on the semantic level, you know, just the, the word itself, the grammar and the structure of the language, Allah is simply the word for God in Arabic. There's no other word for God in Arabic. There's not another word. Well, There's other words for Jesus. I don't speak Arabic, so I'm, I'm more than willing to accept, certainly yeah. accept you as the expert on that. Well, what I'm just saying, I'm just saying that's only a, that's only a small part of the argument, but I think it's a, sure. it's an important start to say, just to say Allah isn't God, is actually is a simplistic uh, and very ineffective argument for anybody because then you then you offend, you know, twenty thirty million Arabic speaking Christians. Uh, Carl, um, if I if, as a, as a neophyte here, if I could summarize what I take away from this, if I understand you correctly. Uh, People of the Islamic faith, along with us, believe there is a God, the God that created the world, and a God that we're accountable to. Right. And a, a God that, uh, well, they would be emphasize the submission to God, but w- one in which uh, has certain standards that we have to address. Right. Where, where, uh, where the differences come is on his nature, how he's right. revealed himself, and the means by which that we can find favor with God. That's right. That, that, that's correct. And, and those are huge differences. They're significant. It's kind of like saying, you know, when I say to somebody, you know, you don't have to demonize uh, Muhammad or and you don't have to demonize the Quran to still not believe that, it's, that Muhammad's the final prophet and the Quran's not God's word. And so for some reason, I think it's just human nature. I, I'm guessing, I don't think this is an American thing. I think it's just human nature. We tend to want all or nothing. We, so that's mm-hmm. why we say, no, surely Muslims can't believe in the same God because they're not right. Well, I mean, I know all kinds of people who aren't right. So, so let's talk about that Amer- an American pagan, just our neighbors who, whose God maybe is NASCAR, you know, or, or whatever. I mean, in my, my country, it's the Denver Broncos. That's people's God mm-hmm. out here in Denver. Sure, um, they're not. They're, they're as unright as, as anybody else. Yeah, they're as unright. But if they say, if they say, I'd like to pray to God, can we? I'm I'm thinking about God. You, you don't you don't jump down the throat and say, "Wait a minute, you're thinking of the wrong God." No, of course not. You say, "Great, let's let's go." And so that's what we do with Muslims. I mean, that's what we do with Muslims. Now, 
other people don't agree with this point. So there's lots of missionaries out here, out there in the Arab world anyway, that I know well, who are who are saying Allah is the moon god or is a different god, and Muslims are, you know, totally off base and they're they're not even trying to get to the right God. And surprise, surprise, they have no fruit. I mean, they're not leading anybody to Jesus because the first the first five minutes they offend their whole audience and people walk away. So Paul didn't do that. If you look at Paul's speech on Mars Hill, again and again and again, Paul acknowledged that his audience, the Greeks for the most part, uh, had some understanding of some deity. And it was a maybe it was a pagan deity. And in fact, the Greek word that we take for God in the New Testament Theos was from a pagan, from a pagan deity. So any name, any word, can be infused with real meaning. So the word Allah, when a Muslim is thinking he's praying to Allah, you know, we would say, well, he doesn't know exactly who he's praying to. And I say, well, of course. And do we? Well, we only know as much as we've had revealed to us through Christ. I mean, how much? What percentage of God do you and I know? I mean, I probably know. I mean, now I've been walking with Jesus for, you know, 35 years. I probably know 0.00001% of all there is to know about God. And my Muslim friend maybe has one more zero in front of in front of his percentage. And so I'm just saying, okay, this God that you're trying to find, the real God that you in Arabic call Allah, that you're trying to find, he's here. And he has, he has made himself known in the person, the work, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Would you like to know him? And I find almost 100% of the time, Muslims say yes. Mm-hmm. Now, if I go to them and say, you know, I'm so sorry, my Muslim friend, us Christians have a right, you Muslims have it wrong, Allah is the wrong God all these years, you've been praying really hard, you got the wrong guy. You shouldn't pray to Allah, you should pray to God, G-O-D, in English. It has to be God in English, it can't be in Arabic, because we know God's from America. Mm-hmm. And you know, if I go on with that kind of attitude, of course I wouldn't say that, but if I had any kind of attitude like that at all, they don't listen. I think it's theologically not correct, and it's sociologically not very helpful. Is this helping? <laughs> Carl, I, I, think, I think one of the, what you're kind of touching on is, uh, and what a lot of people don't know, especially if they're not around a lot of folks from the Middle East, is that you have all flavors of Arab people and Muslim people from the Middle East. And you have, right. uh, we, we know Catholic Arabs, we know Baha'i Arabs, we know Muslim Arabs, we know yeah. Protestant Arabs, Greek Orthodox Arabs. And and on the same, uh, and following that same thought, you can know so many Muslim people who are at various degrees in their uh, Islam. You know, you have some right. who are, uh, follow this school or that school or a very... Uh, conservative or very radical or even very liberal and some people right. just have just this sort of a, a smorgasbord they just kind of mix all their views together especially in a place like beirut where you That's have right. so many so many groups that converge they they're a lot like americans who just kind of yeah. mix their views all together and they're more sometimes more national and more arab than they are really religious That's and, right. and i think if we can get like you're saying get down to that human factor and really try to lead people to the god the creator and demonstrate to them that this man, Jesus of Nazareth, is the embodiment of that. That's right. Who came to reveal God to us. We can cut past a lot of the political and cultural and ethnic and social trappings that have gotten people sidetracked away from Jesus himself. Right. Well, you know, it it just leads me to think, too, that that the roles of people like yourself uh, and how you handle yourself. We have examples in Scripture, people like Daniel, who was in a foreign cult, uh, court, excuse me, uh, with foreign religion, 
And he looked for opportunities, first of all, to bless the people he was around and, and try to better their lives. And then that presented opportunities for him while he was blessing the king or whoever else to share a little bit more information about who he knew God was and That's why right. God had had provided him the opportunity to be a blessing to them. That's and, right. and, and, and times they were more receptive than others, but yet he was still able to accomplish his role as a blessing. Uh, Joseph also able to to, to some extent too. But right. it, it seems to me that what what you're looking for, if, if you find someone who really truly seeks to please the God that created this world and is willing to humble themselves and be contrite before that God, there is hope for that person and you can be sympathetic for them. Because Jesus himself said that he who seeks finds. That's right. And I'm assuming Jesus is the one who execute, executes that finding. Right. But what God <laughs> is looking for is a seeker's heart. Now, That's right. God may have to send somebody like you to be part of that finding process for them. Well, but, well I think that, I think that's part of the the beauty in God's in God's grace and and understanding. He he sent me, and I'm mostly I said it earlier, but said again, mostly an, an unschooled. I mean, I'm well read. I love to read and study, but not professionally trained, you know, so to speak, to do this. Um, you know, I'm just kind of a regular guy, and I, I just want to I want people to see, you know, how wonderful Jesus is. But I tend to walk into every relationship assuming. That person is a seeker. I actually, I actually meet a Muslim on the streets, whether it's in Denver um, or in, uh, you know, Saudi Arabia, Sudan, Yemen, wherever we go, Syria. I meet a Muslim, and I immediately think my heart just kind of goes out, and I go, oh, and I embrace him. I mean, physically, I give him a big hug, and I maybe give him a kiss. You know, if that's the the culture, is two or three kisses on the cheeks, and I say it's so good. It is so good to meet a fellow believer. Now, tell me that that person's heart won't open to that. And I actually believe it. It's not for me. It's not a ploy. I actually think most Muslims are really seeking God. They're they're God fearing people. They're much like the God fearing Jews that that uh, or the God fearing you know Greeks or proselytes that Paul would go to in these other countries. They're they're kind of worshiping worshiping a God they just only partially knew. And I think that's what Muslims are doing too. They're trying their best. I mean, they're not trying to worship a demon. They're not trying to worship you know, a false god. They're they're trying their best with their understanding, as maybe our little our kids would do. They're trying their best to worship all the god they know. And so we just come along and we say, that's great. That that's awesome what you're doing. And let me give you a little bit. Let me give you a couple more ideas. I think you're doing really well. You probably you probably love God more than I do. As far as I can tell, your life is more holy and godly than mine. You know, you're a wonderful person. Great hospitality. You love your family and your kids. Uh, you know, you're just a great guy. And I've also found this key that maybe you're missing. Maybe not, but maybe you're just missing this key, which is a, is a deeper relationship with God through Jesus. And then just kind of go down that track, that the feeling of that, it's not really even a theological point. It's kind of a sociological. It's a way to approach people point. Whereas if I approach them with kind of a skeptical heart saying, you know, I don't even have to say it, but it kind of comes through that, you know, I really think you're wrong, I'm right. I have truth, you have no truth, but don't worry, I've come to give you truth, you know. And I think most people just don't respond all that all that well to that kind of a style. We're back here at the Future Quake Show with Tom Bionic and Dr. Future.
Yes, indeed, here we are. And we're here actually also with Brother Carl Medeiros, author of Muslims, Christians, and Jesus, talking a little bit about the future destiny and problems uh, and proper understanding of uh, Muslim-Christian relations. And, uh, you know, I've said, this, I've, I've said this yesterday and then, you know, earlier today, and I'll say it again here today, like, this show was really, really moving to me. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, I felt very obviously the spirit moving, and uh, I think overall we talked a little bit less than we usually do and just listened. And for me, you know, there were points where I can almost, like I said earlier, you know, uh, it was almost like I just kind of felt like bathed in the spirit a little bit. Mm-hmm. I, the farther the farther away we get from this interview, the more I really realize it was a really spiritual experience for me. Something we need to really yeah, meditate gonna, and spend some time thinking about. I, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna see if I can I'm gonna put this on a CD and just play it or something. MP3. Well, and it's something that extends far beyond the subject matter of Muslims. Yeah, it's and, something that speaks more to our heart. It's more about us than it is about them. Totally. It's it's as if it's as if. Uh, Using using my well, I'll just say it sort of shortcomings and bigotry about Muslims and what they believe. You know, I have this you know riding around in the desert chopping each other's heads off kind of a mentality mm-hmm. about it, and it's uncovered. It's like he used God, the Lord used that as a wedge to open, turn over this big rock, and see. It's like, mm-hmm. man, like I'm not I'm arrogant to like everybody, you know. It's like wow. Am I a jerk? Have I been a jerk to everybody for 30 years? Well, <laughs> you got a whole bunch of other Futurians and even some co-hosts that relate to that in our own lives. Yeah. Uh, we hate to go. We need to pick this up tomorrow, but we got to get Merv in. Merv, could you come in and tell our listeners how they can find out more about Future Quake? Future Quake radio broadcasts are archived at www.futurequake.com, suitable for downloading or streaming, as well as other show information. Email Dr. Future and Tom Bionic at drfuture at futurequake.com. That's D-R-F-U-T-U-R-E at futurequake.com. Tell us your name, city, and radio station or internet, and if we can use your name on air. Comments on the show's topics or guests or suggestions for future show topics or guests are most welcome. Dr. Future and Tom will discuss selected emails each week during the radio broadcast. Okay. we got to say goodbye. Let's pick All up right. this discussion tomorrow. All right. Okay. Um, until tomorrow, uh, we hope your future is very bright. Tune in tomorrow. And have a good day. Yep. Muslim. Join us next time as we dare to experience another aftershock of a future quake. 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 Welcome to the Wednesday edition of the Future Quake Show. I am Dr. Future. And I am Tom Bionic, who also happens to be moved heavily by this whole interview process. Well, that made it very clear up front. Yeah, I figured why don't, why not, why screw around? Let's just state it right up front. Well, if you all like or, or appreciate the perspectives of Dr. Future and Tom Bionic, then listen to us when we say that we felt this was an important interview. Mm-hmm. You know, something that we all need to stop and think about, and like Tom says, maybe listen to a few times. In our little, in our little pre-talks about about this interview, you know, I think it, I think it's fair to say, and I'll, I'll speak for both of us. Correct me if you don't feel this way, but we okay. thought it would be I one. We thought it'd be one thing, 
and it turned out to be something completely different. Yeah, I didn't know what to expect. It came with uh, with high praise from our friends at the show who recommended mm-hmm. him to us. And, um, well, that's part of the beauty of having a show is to bring people on. In this, rather than just reading dry words, mm-hmm. you hear the person come through when they talk. Yeah. And I think this is a classic case of it. And we were really yeah. blessed by Brother Carl and his ministry. There were some controversial things sitting here, and we'll need to pick that up on the tail end. Mm-hmm. But you can't avoid that in Christianity unless you want to just play it safe all the time. Yeah. So uh, let's go on to his uh, next segment of the interview, and then we'll be right back to wrap it up on Future Quick. It's almost an egotistical attitude that if you approach someone, you think you're so much smarter than them that if you present Jesus to them, they aren't going to get it as good as That's you right. do. So it'd be because of whatever cultural baggage or they're not as educated or have other hang-ups – they're naturally going to be less receptive to hearing uh, the That's message right. of Jesus than you are, and and that is outright arrogance. Well, it's, it's shocking, but it it seems to be statistically true that the most open people to the gospel around the world today are Muslims. Uh, there have been lots of studies uh, for the last five, ten years about you know people groups that are open to coming to to, to a real faith in Jesus Christ around the world. And the, the countries that are most open, there's most rapid growth in the church, are Afghanistan, uh, Iraq, Iran, Sudan, Bangladesh, Indonesia. In fact, of the top ten, nine of those are Muslim. Muslims come to the Lord extremely easily. They're so open to Jesus. But what they aren't open to is a religion called Christianity that they see as a tool of Western imperialism. So if you come in with kind of a Western, again, like you say, kind of a Western arrogance saying, I have a, I'm have an American, Carl the American, representing the great religion of Christianity. By the way, we have $2 billion on our side. You only have $1.4 billion. We're beating you by $600 million. You know, ha-ha. <laughs> we would never say that. I mean, nobody ever says those kinds of things, but people can feel it. People are really smart, and they can feel that kind of arrogance. Uh, and if you come in with that message at all, that my religion can beat up your religion, my religion is better than yours, you're going to lose with the Muslim because that's, that's fighting the battle on their ground. That's the game they play. So I just undermine the whole game. I just say, you know what? You know what I think of my religion? I think my religion is just like all other religions. It gets you nowhere. Religion doesn't get you anywhere. It gets you into troubles and strifes and conflict. And if you want to see religion at its best, go to Jerusalem. It's a mess. Because all, all, all religions, Muslims, Christians, and Jews, are stuck in one square mile, and they can't get along. Go to the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, where the monks of the Ethiopian, Ethiopian Church are fighting, literally fighting, uh, physically fighting the monks of the Greek Orthodox Church. And that's religion. That gets you nowhere. But we're not talking about religion. We're talking about relationship with God. It's, beautiful, it's a beautiful thing. And I think, Muhammad, or Ali, or Hussein, I think... You're already on the right path. You're, you're going down that way, and let's walk that way together. And I think uh, you can maybe show me some things. I can show you some things. This is going to be awesome. And I've never, ever had a closed heart to that kind of a talk. Mm-hmm. Well, it, it sounds like it's uh, very much a spiritual disarmament in that if you say, I'm going to set all the trappings of, of, uh, you know, of, of my cultural religion, if I'm going to set all that aside – I'm also giving you permission to do the same. And now that we're unencumbered, let's just sit down and talk about Jesus and, right. and about our own spiritual welfare and what, right. is, what is real truth and these kind of things. And, and God can still work through all of that once That's we've right. set all the other veneer aside. And it's the same way. 
speak in the States. I mean, if you, if you go out and just talk to 10 of your neighbors who don't know the Lord, just, you know, pick 10 people in your, in your, in your part of the city that don't know Jesus and ask them why, why they don't know Jesus. So, so, you know, we've noticed that we don't have the same faith. You know, why is it that you don't, I mean, there are churches everywhere. Why don't you go to one of those churches? Why don't you, why don't you have a relationship with God? I mean, honestly, I'm just trying to figure this out. I'm doing a little study on my own, asking 10 people the same question, trying to figure out why you don't seem to like God, or I don't, I don't know. I'll bet, I'll bet at least nine out of the 10 will say something like, oh, I have no problem with God. What do you mean I don't like God? I, who, who said that I don't like God? And then you say, well, I mean, you don't go to church. And they say, oh, oh, you mean the church. Are you, now you ask me if I like God, or you ask me if I like the church or Christianity. If you ask people about Christianity, the religion, or the church, they have a whole list of reasons why they don't want to go there. They're all political. They tend to be political reasons. But nobody, I've never found anybody who dislikes Jesus. Mm-hmm. I mean, I go to the, I mean, I, I was just up in Boulder, Colorado, the home of the University of Colorado, uh, one of the most liberal places in America. I just spoke at Harvard. I speak at Harvard every year. Uh, Boston is a very liberal place. I've asked people all over the Harvard campus, MIT campus, Tufts, Boston College, Boston U, University of Colorado in Boulder. I've asked them the same question. What do you think about Christianity? A hundred percent. A hundred percent, except for I, I met like two people out of the several hundred who were actually already in the camp. Everybody else said, oh, Christianity. And then they went on a long rant and rave about how bad Christianity, you know, is or was. And then I just said, can I ask you one other question? They said, oh, sure, you know, but just don't talk to me blankly blank about those blankly blank Christians, you know. So I said, just one other question. Uh, What's that? What do you think about Jesus? I mean, just tell me something about Jesus. What do you think about him? A hundred percent. It's actually quite shocking. Out of Several hundred people I've interviewed, and I actually have this on, on tape. We did a little uh, documentary film on this. A hundred percent, the same ones who were just cursing what they perceived to be Christianity were now just – a lot of times they grab their heart or they start to cry sometimes. They'd say, oh, no, Jesus. Jesus is a different story. Now, it's fair to say that Jesus that's in their head probably isn't the real Jesus. I mean, it's a – of, you know, kind they, of a, they Jesus think and choose the parts of Jesus they like. Of course, yeah. of course. And so that's kind of like with Muslims. See, Muslims, you can say, you need to be a skeptic of that kind of a study and say, well, yeah, but, you know, how those Bostonian Harvard types are, you know, they, you know, they've made up their own Jesus and they don't really believe in him. Or you can say to that person, as I did, wow, that's awesome. So you think Jesus, so tell me, tell me what's your favorite part about Jesus. Tell me something that you love about him. And they'd start talking about him. I said, tell me some more. Like, what's your favorite story about Jesus? And they'd tell me some more. You know, so what, what, is it, what is it that hinders you from, like, reading everything there is to read about Jesus? And I said, well, nothing. I said, well, have you read all the stuff about him? And they said, well, no, where is it? Well, it's in this book called The Bible. And they go, oh, oh, The Bible. And then they kind of get defensive again. Right. I said, no, 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 no. No, The Bible actually isn't even a Christian book. It's a book about a bunch of Jews written by a bunch of Jews. Do you, do you like Jews? And, of course, you have to say yes to that, or you're in trouble. They say, yeah, absolutely. Well, Jesus was a Jewish guy, and a bunch of Jewish guys wrote about him. Why wouldn't you read that book? You don't want to read that book because you think it's a tool of the Christian right, and you're mad at them. Right. And every, who can disagree with such an argument? I mean, who can say, no, that's not true? And it's the same way with Muslims. It's all about how you approach them. Mm-hmm. about where your heart is when you when you come to talk to them. Pastor, Chris, did you have a comment? Uh, his uh, 
mentioning folks having criticism about the church reminds me of a book title that I saw once. It said, we have met the enemy, and they are partly right. And yes. <laughs> but, 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 you know, I'm also reminded of how when Jesus came to the woman at the well in uh, John chapter 4, and when he asked her for a drink of water, he was actually humbling himself. It, mm. for, for him to ask her for something was to uh, indicate that she was in some way superior to him, that she was greater and had something to offer. And I mm. think if people re- think that we're just trying to sell them something or be superior or arrogant or show that we're better somehow, like you're saying, it's a big turnoff. Yeah. If, if we can humble ourselves to, before other people, that's going to be the first way to have real mm. relationship with them. Well, it's hard to do that with a group like Muslims who we, who we feel hurt by. I mean, frankly, you know, the United States, especially after 9-11, feels wounded. And we have been. We have been hurt, in fact, by by Muslims. It was Muslims that perpetrated that crime. And, you know, what just happened in Mumbai, in India, as far as we can tell, that was from Muslims. And so you look around the world, and, you, you know, you realize that all, of course, all Muslims aren't terrorists. But it seems that almost all terrorists are Muslims. And so you kind of make that little deduction. It doesn't take you very long to think, well, they're, they're a bunch of crazies. I mean, there must be something in, the, in their religion. There must be something in Islam or in Muhammad's life or in the Quran that's leading them to do these crazy things. And there are enemies. What do we do with our enemies? Well, we protect ourselves. And sometimes the way you protect yourself is you go out there and fight them and you, you, you beat them. You, you get them before they get us. You know, it's preemptive. And then somebody like me comes along and says, yeah, yeah that's, that's an interesting thought. But what about Jesus saying, love your enemies? What do we do with that? Well, you know, that does, that's not really practical here because, you know, I mean, what are you, you going to do, Carl? Just go over and hug uh, Osama bin Laden? You know, go hug him? I always say to people, well, yes, actually, if I knew where he was, I would go give him a hug, which really doesn't help because then people just think I'm crazy. So. <laughs> but I think we have to wrestle with that. We have to say, okay, the, there's a government, the American government, that has to do something that's probably called and maybe even by God-given authority to protect its citizens. So that's one thing. But at least, at least as individual followers of Jesus, we surely have to wrestle with his command, not his suggestion, but his command to love our enemies, and then we have to say, how do we do that? How do we do that with a Muslim who is actually, who actually is a bad guy, not just a regular good guy Muslim, which are 99% of them, but the 1% who really are bad, evil, you know, terrible people, what do we do with them? What does it mean to love them? And I think we don't wrestle with that very much. Well, you know, uh, I, I just sit here and think that when, when I look at someone from a culture like that, Islam, whatever, that it's not so much that you know you're we're trying to pin on individuals there being evil. They have rotten leaders like we have. Yeah. We have a lot in common. We we both have opportunistic leaders who right. have their own agendas that aren't the the, the common folk. We have uh, education arms in both our areas that exacerbate our differences sure. for their own agendas to suit their own purposes to drive wedges between us. We, right. we, rec- we both receive misinformation. Uh, we, we, we aren't told that, that we, we want to raise our families and let our families be healthy and have grandchildren and things like that. We, we, we have all this kind of stuff set up. To me, it's quite endearing when I see someone from the other side to recognize they have been subject to the same rotten information that I have. Right. And that they are trying to raise their family and be decent in their neighborhood 
you know, they have been taught to be afraid of me and to worry yeah. about what agenda I have as much as I've been told about them. That's right. But if they seek God, if they seek God, they are a beautiful thing. If they're true seekers. Right. And, and in fact, if I should not hold them as much dear to my heart as someone held to me when they shared the word to me. That's right. That's right. I'm, go I'm going this Thursday, so in two days, to visit uh, the imam of our local mosque here in Denver. And mm -hmm. uh, it's the largest mosque in Denver. It has uh, several thousand uh, potential worshipers. I don't think they all gather at the same time, but, you know, I think he counts, you know, mosques play the same game that churches do when counting mm -hmm. numbers. <laughs> and so they're, they're right. counting everybody that ever, ever went to the mosque as one of their, you know, parishioners. So it's kind of funny. But uh, anyway, I'm going to meet him on Thursday. I've met, I mean, I've met with him several times, but I've already decided that, I mean, he's a really, he's a, he's a wonderful man. He's got the sweetest spirit, and he's just so soft towards things of God. And he's such an influential leader in the Muslim, in the, in the American Muslim community. And I've already decided, I just want to, I just want to start out by honoring him and just saying, you know, uh, Imam, you have such a, uh, as far as I can see, you have such a pure heart. And I just love your heart for God. I love how you seek him, how you try to worship him, how you uh, seem to encourage your followers to, to really worship God, to serve the community, to serve the city, uh, to help the homeless. They have an incredible outreach to the homeless uh, of Denver. Uh, now, a lot of my Christian friends are very skeptical of that, you know, think, think they're proselytizing the homeless. And I, I say, well, if they, you know, if that's their agenda, you know, go for it. I mean, I don't think, I don't know too many churches who are, who are trying to get all the homeless in their church. So mm -hmm. if, we, if we're not doing it, then, you know, there you go. Let, then they're going to do it. But I just want to start out by that, and I actually really believe it. I don't think you can use this. You can't use that kind of a tactic as a ploy. You can't, it can't be a trick. I actually really believe right. this man has a pure heart, that he really is seeking God. And I'm actually so excited to pray with him. And, and every time I meet with a Muslim, by the way, I always, I always try. Uh, I, I don't always remember to do this, but I try to pray with them. I can say this, I, this also might be surprising. I have never had a Muslim turn me down for prayer. In, in 25 years working with Muslims, I've never had a Muslim say no. I've had Christians say no. I've had Americans say no. I've never had a Muslim say no, you know, I, I'm too busy or I can't pray with you. Most, most Muslims are shocked that I pray because part of their misinformation is that Christians don't pray because Muslims, as you probably know, you know, have kind of formal formal prayers five times a day, and they don't see Christians doing that, so they actually assume wrongly that Christians don't pray. They also assume because we don't fast the month of Ramadan, they assume Christians don't fast. And so uh, I try to be careful about, you know, how I do this, so I'm not just, you know, showing up. But, but I like to make a point of actually not telling them how much I pray on my own, but praying for them, praying with them, right then. And just saying something like, you know, I, maybe this Thursday I'll say, ma'am, you know, I just I love you, love your heart, love what you do. I'd like, I, I mean, my heart for you is that you would see more and more of God, that you'd understand him more, that you'd be more filled with his spirit, uh, that you would know him personally in a way that you never had before. Would it be okay if I just prayed a prayer of blessing for you and prayed that God would lead you into all truth and lead your, your uh, people here in the mosque in, in the way that he'd want to lead them? Is that okay? I mean, who would turn down a prayer of blessing? I mean, who would turn that down? I've never had anybody turn that down. And he'll say, sure. 
and I'll pray. Now, you know, somebody, the, the guys that I'm taking with me, a couple of pastors and a couple of other Christian leaders, for sure, when we leave that time, somebody will say to me, Carl, you didn't preach the gospel. You didn't tell him he needed to bow his knee to Jesus or he's going to go to hell. You know, what's, what's wrong with you? You've, you've gone soft on Muslims. And I'll say, well, yeah, maybe maybe that's true. And I hope, uh, hopefully not. hope I'm doing what God, you know, is leading me to do. And there's time, there are times to do that, for sure, with the Muslim to say, you know, here's, here's some of the rest of the story as well. But in a newer relationship like this, I just want this guy's heart to be captured by the heart of God. And I really do mm-hmm. want to pray for him for blessing. And I think God, God in his spirit is so much more powerful than me anyway. I think God can actually bring a lot of conviction without me saying very much at all. So that's kind of a practical uh, up-and-coming example. That So, that so you're, acknowledging, you're acknowledging that for someone uh, of their background and culture, it, it really requires a work of the supernatural in that really yeah. every one of our souls needs supernatural work of the Holy Spirit for us to understand the gospel. But but in their case, it's not going to be your uh, intelligent, wise words that are going to somehow turn the light bulb on. It's going to be seeking God and asking yeah. God to do that in their heart. Yeah, I and, think that is, and using really, love as a medium by which you can be fervent in your intercession for them. That, that's uh, again. I love I love the way you said. I'm gonna I'm gonna I need to listen re-listen to this when this comes on the radio so I can um, so I can take your words and make it mine. I love the way you summarize what I say. So yes, that's what I that's what I meant to say. Whatever I say, blah 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 blah. Then whatever you say is what I mean. <laughs> Well, I, I I don't mean to repackage it. It's just no, it's how great. I'm processing what you're saying. No, I I love it, and that's that's exactly it. I think, especially with Muslims, or as I would say, with people who have again been uh, have felt that they've been hurt by the church or Christianity, uh, it takes a miraculous encounter. It takes some kind of uh, power encounter, maybe a dream or a vision or a healing or just something of the spirit that he just you know he does something in their heart. That's beyond what I can do. I, I find apologetics, uh, kind of a traditional evangelistic approach uh, for spiritual laws, evangelism, explosion, Roman road, you know, all these things that I've known and used, you know, all my life, uh, have some effect. But unless the person is already, you know, somehow uh, totally prepared by the Holy Spirit, completely open, it actually doesn't usually go very far because then it just becomes, you know, your argument versus their argument, and you kind of go back and forth. And that's kind of, again, played on the Muslim turf. I mean, Muslims tend to be fairly, fairly well-versed in several kind of basic arguments, like, you know, well, we can't really fully believe the Injil, the New Testament, because it's been changed, which, by the way, the Quran never says. But if you say that, then they say, oh, yes, it does. And then I might say, well, I'd love to see that. I haven't seen it. And then they fumble around for a little bit. They can't find it. Then they're embarrassed. And then by winning the argument, I actually lose. I've actually embarrassed my friend, and that kind of a culture to shame, to shame your friend, especially publicly, is the worst possible thing. So like this Thursday when I go with my other friends, if the imam says something like, well, you know, the Bible's been changed, I mean, it's a good book, but we can't believe the whole thing. If I say, no, it hasn't, and in fact the Quran doesn't say that, for sure it's going to fall right into the trap, and he'll say, oh, yes, it does. And then if I say, could you please show me that verse? He can't because the Quran doesn't say that. Uh, 100% it does not say that. Uh, but they, they've, they've just heard that all their lives. So it's a popular, popular myth they believe about the Bible being changed, but it doesn't say it anywhere, anywhere in the Quran. Um, 
and then he'll he'll stumble around and look, and then he'll he'll make something up, and he'll say, "Well, I'll find it later," and then he'll completely shut down because I've embarrassed him in front of my friends and maybe his friends, and the conversation's over. So why would I do that? Why would I point out a truth that is in fact true? And of course, we know the Bible's not changed. We know it's real. It's God's word, but he doesn't know that, and he thinks it has been changed. Mm-hmm. So for me to point that out and embarrass him does absolutely nothing. So I just say, well. You know, from my from my standpoint, you ma'am, I'm sure hoping it hasn't been changed because otherwise I've been reading the wrong book for you know a long time. But anyway, speaking of Jesus, and I just go right on with Jesus. Or if he says something about Muhammad, you know, anything about the Prophet Muhammad, which they always ask me, you know, is he a real prophet? You know, I say, you know, actually, I've focused all my life, almost all my life, my efforts, my learning, my teaching. I'm consumed. I mean, I'll just admit it. I'm consumed by Jesus. And, you know, I don't really know. I haven't studied that much about Muhammad. I should probably study more. But I would love for you and I to focus on what we agree. Mm -hmm. We agree on Jesus being a prophet. So I agree he was a prophet. You agree he was a prophet. Now, I think he might be a bit more than that, and you might not. But let's at least agree on what we agree on, that he's a prophet. So let's talk about what prophets do. What does a prophet do? Well, a prophet, one thing a prophet does is they prophesy. Prophets prophesy. So what does that mean? Well, it means, and Muslims will say this. They'll, they'll say, well, it means that he speaks as from God. And that's true. Jesus did that. He spoke as from God, like a prophet. And I'll say now, I, I think I know that you would agree with me also that he is still alive. Is that true? Absolutely, 100%. Muslims believe Jesus is still alive. He's a prophet. Prophets prophesy. They speak as from God. So I just say, you know, what if we just, I know this is crazy, what if we just prayed right now to God, let's just pray to God and ask God if he would prophesy something to us, if he would speak to us from Jesus. So that's not a prophetic word in the charismatic tradition of today that I would have a prophecy for him, but that we would actually somehow hear Jesus speak to us. And they always said, well, I don't know, I've never thought about that before, but sure, why not? And then I just say, well, Lord, we just ask that you would, you know, speak to us now through the prophetic voice of your servant, Jesus. We agree as a prophet, we need him to speak. We're both a little confused here or something because one of us thinks this and one of us thinks that. So we just ask that you clear, clear up our hearts and our heads and just speak right now. And then I usually just wait a little bit and you would be, or the story I could tell you about what's happened next are actually unbelievable. And it happens all the time. And again, it's just, it's actually embarrassingly simple how the Spirit of God works when you give them a little bit of chance and, uh, and go with the heart of, of simple faith. <laughs> I'm, I'm getting kind of peachy here. Sorry about this, no. guys. <laughs> all right, we're back at the Future Quake Show with Dr. Future and Tom Bionic. And, uh, you know this show, man. I, I just said this a minute ago before we before we turn the thing on. Like I just want to talk and talk and talk about this show. You know, for mm-hmm. it was. Um, I hope our listeners feel the same way because I'll feel weird if they don't. We have a couple very insightful. Uh, well, a lot more than that, but I mean, there's just some that come to mind, mm-hmm. like uh, like Brother Dave Cox, yeah. who does our Brother commentaries. Dave, I'd like to see what Tom, like to hear what he has Brother to say. Tom says about this, and Brother Robert. Brother Tom, Brother Robert insightful people they don't frequently don't always agree with us or, yeah. or this or that but and that's um, fine i respect their 
commentary. Right. I really do. But they have a they have a heart for God to hear from God. And mm-hmm. uh, our other Futurians, if you've uh, if you've been one to uh, email us in the past, we'd like to hear from you regarding this. If you've not, uh, and you may have some very critical words, and uh, lay them on us if you do. Mm-hmm. And maybe we'll all grow if we can share some of them at a show coming up here. We'll get some of these emails and share them yeah. uh, with people. But this is the kind of dialogue we think people ought to have. Yeah. And all right. So. We're going to have more to talk about tomorrow, but we've got to bring Merv in now. Merv, tell our listeners how they can contact us. Future Quake radio broadcasts are archived at www.futurequake.com, suitable for downloading or streaming, as well as other show information. Email Dr. Future and Tom Bionic at drfuture at futurequake.com. That's D-R-F-U-T-U-R-E at futurequake.com. Tell us your name, city, and radio station or internet, and if we can use your name on air. Comments on the show's topics or guests or suggestions for future show topics or guests are most welcome. Dr. Future and Tom will discuss selected emails each week during the radio broadcast. Okay, we got to wrap it up. We'll right. have more time let's tomorrow. Let's get out of here. Tom. Okay, let's get out. That's my old Tom Bionic back. All right, until tomorrow, we hope your future is very bright. Have a wonderful day. Bye. Join us next time as we dare to experience another aftershock of a future quake. Welcome to the Thursday edition of the Future Quake Show. I am Dr. Future. And I am Tom Bionic. Neener, neener, neener. Mine was longer. (laughs) I was an accidental pause. Oh, really? Yeah, I just had a like a petite mall there. Wheels, wheels gummed up. Yeah, I didn't know what was wrong. Whew. There's a lot of heavy stuff to think about in this interview. Yeah, me. You could forgive boy, me you're for not that. Kidding. You know, there's like for me, it's you know, I'm listening to what he's saying, but there's also, I mean, for me personally, there was also a lot of what I felt like the Holy Spirit just descending on me, and a lot of stuff, you know, personally where I felt that, you know, I had been kind of bigoted to a lot of different people unknowingly. And for the first time, I can really grasp what what arrogance really is, almost. And how it can impede the Lord's oh, work in our totally. lives. Totally, yeah. Like yeah or what he's sense, doing in a community. Yeah, like in a sense, like maybe I've been arrogant to like nearly everybody I've met, you know? It's like, oh, that's not good. <laughs> when, you have, when you have revelations like that, though, they can be life-changing. I, maybe this one is life-changing. We'll have to see. I'll look back on this. We'll have to wait five years, ten years, or a lifetime. Right. But I think... might go back and look at this interview. Yeah, it might be. Well, we have a whole lot more to carry that we we didn't cover with uh, Brother Carl here. Uh We're probably going to need to have him back and talk about some of this stuff. Yeah, I think so. If if people let us on the radio. Yeah, yeah, hopefully this one doesn't get us kicked off. (laughs) I hope other people see it in the same frame we did. Uh, We really look forward to hearing from you. Uh, Some people may have offended uh, talking about what we talked about a lot. Maybe you didn't understand what he said Mm -hmm. uh, about uh, that being an Arabic word for God, that it's a generic word for God, but we we wrap up so much stuff in it that we hear here and there in evangelical Mm -hmm. circles. Uh, Talking about praying with Muslims. Some people think that's just totally taboo. No. And when is talking to God a bad idea? If you if you take a step towards him, he'll take a step towards you. And I think the big thing that counts is, you know, what's in your heart, if you're really sincere about it. When you pray, only pray what you believe in. Yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. Okay, we need to go to our last segment with Brother Carl, and then we'll be back to wrap it up on Future Quake.
No, we're not. I mean, well, no, I'll speak for myself. Uh, you're, you're saying something that we that's worth saying. We need to digest. Uh, there's a story I want to ask you, and then then that we, their time has flown by extremely fast in this. But uh, so some friends of ours, Christian friends who who've read your book and really liked it, uh, mentioned a story they really liked. Uh, one in particular about a conversation you had with a Lebanese parliamentarian several years ago. Do, uh, do you know the story that uh, they might be referring to? Uh, it, it was the story was in the book. Yes. Um, wow. Uh, I think there may be two stories about Lebanese members of parliament, but um, but I, and they actually they can potentially flow together. I mean, can I can yeah, I have please just four, to share can I have five minutes? Can I have five minutes to share? How much time do I have? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Give us a couple yeah, yeah. examples okay. there. Okay. Yeah, that's actually kind of cool. Um, I I. Uh, I met with this member of parliament. I just asked for a meeting with this guy. He was one of the, one of the leaders in the Lebanese parliament um, a few years ago, and is still still in the parliament now, and is actually uh, has a very high position in the parliament in Lebanon today. He's a, a Sunni Muslim, and uh, I started talking to him. He actually invited me out to his house um, for coffee, so we went out to his place on the, the edge of Beirut. Beirut's a beautiful city that sits kind of out into the Mediterranean Sea on a peninsula, and we sat right right out on the point on his balcony, and he sat down, he kind of slumped down in this chair, before, I mean, he didn't even really know who I was, I just asked for a meeting, I just said, I'm Carl, I'm, you know, from America, but I live here, and just would like to meet with you, Can do you have five minutes, he said, sure, and then the next thing I know, I'm at his house, and uh, so I asked him this question, he kind of slumped down, looked very tired, I said, I said, wow, so tell me what it's like being a member of parliament in Lebanon, because Lebanon's kind of a mess, you know, I mean, it's always... You know, there's always something crazy going on over there, and and uh, so I just asked him that question. It was a real question. I wasn't trying to get anything out of him, and he just said, "Oh," he sighed. He said, "You know, I have to say I've lost all hope." And I said, "Oh my, really? That is not good. I mean, you're one of the leaders of the country. If you don't have any hope, uh, boy, uh, sorry, sorry to hear that." And then he said, "Oh, so anyway, enough about me. What, what do you do? What do you do?" And I said, "Oh, well, that was kind of crazy, but..." I'm a I'm a hope broker. He said, a what? I said, well, I'm a, I'm a hope broker. And he said, what? Now, I've never said that ever before. I've never said that word. Actually, I've never said that ever before or, or since because it didn't make sense. But it just kind of came out. He said, he lost all hope. And so I just thought, oh, hope. Well, I, I know where some hope is. And I, you know, I'm a broker of that hope, actually. So I said that. And, and he goes, well, what's your hope in? <laughs> I said, well, funny you should ask, but... Anyway, enough about me. Back to you. I mean, t- t- I want to know more about you, and, and, and I can't believe that you really are completely hopeless in Lebanon. So you talked a little bit more about Lebanese politics and maybe five more minutes. And then he said, yeah, 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 enough about me. Seriously, you. I want to know what does it mean that you're a hope broker. And I said, well, you know, it's kind of a, a crazy little thing. We, uh, you know, we get people together from all different backgrounds in the country, poor people, uh, Palestinians, Lebanese, Christian background, Lebanese, Druze, Muslims, uh, wealthy people, university students, doctors, lawyers, kind of a little small groups all around the country. Well, we just have a few of those. And we just kind of develop friendship. We get to know each other, take off our political hats and our religious hats, even leave them at the door and just get to know each other as people. And, and then we just decided that we should kind of bring some unity to the group by studying the life of a great leader or some great teachings of the past or something. And, you know, but we had to pick somebody that everybody likes, like, you know, Druze would like them and Christians would like them and, and uh, Muslims 
would agree, you know. So we we thought and thought and thought, who would that be? And I said, I don't know. What, what do you think? I mean, who do you think would be a person? I, I said this to him. Who do you think would be a person or a set of teachings maybe that could unite a diverse group of people like Lebanese? You know, I mean, Lebanese aren't known for actually, you know, exactly getting along with each other. So who could that be? And so he thought, he took it real seriously. He thought for a little bit. And he said, uh, by the way, the number one answer to this question, he said, uh, Gandhi. And I said, Rob, yeah. that's great. Said, uh, yes, I mean, Gandhi would be, I mean, we don't, it's not Gandhi. That's not who we talk about, but, but that's a great idea. We could, we could do that. I mean, Gandhi's awesome. He's one of my heroes. And then he, and he said, he said, well, if it's not Gandhi, who is it? And I said, well, just try one more time. Just think of anybody else and just see, you know, just play along with me. Sorry to be doing this game. Guess what's in my head? But, play along for a little bit and, and so he thought for a little bit, a little bit, and then he, he said Mother Teresa. And I said, you know, well we picked two of the people I was probably two of the true people in the world that I most admire. And I said, but actually it's not her, although she'd be great too. And you could definitely have a small group time, you know, studying her teachings and her life and stuff that'd be very, very productive. And he said, Well then who is it? If it's not Gandhi or Mother Teresa and I said, Well here's a hint. Here's a hint. This person actually gave a lot of the teaching and the emphasis and the impetus to both Mother Teresa and Gandhi. And he goes, his, his eyeballs got real big, and he literally slapped the table where the cups, you know, those little Arabic cups of coffee that, that hold that, that thick syrupy uh, stuff that sends you right through the roof. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> he, he slapped the table so hard that my coffee cup jumped up and spilled. And he goes, I got it. It's Jesus. And I said, that's right. That's who we study is Jesus. He goes, that's perfect. That's perfect. This is so funny. Listen to what he said. He goes, that's perfect because Druze like Jesus, Muslims like Jesus, even Christians like Jesus. (laughs) 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 Just how he said it. Even, I don't know where that came from, but even Christians. And I said, you're right. I know some Christians who like Jesus. You're you're exactly right. And he said, well, this is, this is profound. How does, it's work. Let's do, he said, let's do one of those groups in Parliament. And I said, well, sure. And he goes, you can do it. You can do it in my office. And I said, no, 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 I can't do it. I'm not even from here. I'm not Lebanese. I'm not a member of Parliament. You do it, and I'll help you. He said, well, I don't know what to do. And I said, oh, it's really easy. You get a book about Jesus, and you read it, and then you discuss it. He said, oh, well, what, what book? I said, well, any book you want. Well, I mean, how many books do you know about Jesus? He goes, well, aren't there lots of books about him? I said, yeah, there's lots of books. He goes, oh, okay, well, I'll just choose anyone. I said, yep, anyone you can find. And then we went out, we talked some more, and then he came back to that. He said, what? He said, yeah, but isn't there, isn't there a book called the Bible that has most of the stuff about Jesus? And I said, yeah, most of the stuff's about, you know, about Jesus is in the Bible. Well, he said, why don't we just use that? I said, well, okay, you can use whatever you want, but the Bible would be fine. And so he did. He said, well, I don't have one. So we went actually right then together. We bought him an NGO, a New Testament. And uh, the next Tuesday... He invited several of his member of Parliament friends who went into his office, and I, I suggested that he opens up Luke and just read someone from Luke. So they open up Luke in Arabic, and they're reading the Bible, uh, and they read the first two chapters of Luke, and then they discussed it. And as we were meeting there, the leader of the Hezbollah uh, walked into the, the – the leader of the Hezbollah of the Parliament, the parliamentarian leader of the, the Hezbollah block, walked into the room, Everybody stood up kind of nervous, and he said, hey, what's going on? And they, they all kind of pointed at me and said, you know, that guy over there is, uh, you know, doing this thing. And I just kind of I raised my hands. I said, well, we're just sitting here 
you know, reading the, the scriptures and talking about Jesus. He goes, oh, well, I'll join you. And he sat down. And then people were a little bit uncomfortable, but we went on. We continued on for another half hour talking about Jesus, talking about these first two chapters of Luke, you know, mainly his birth. And uh, then the member of apartment invited me down to his office. I, thought, I felt like a little, you know, sixth grader being called into the principal's room. You know, I thought I was in trouble. And he said, he said, so what do you, it was just he, just he and I, just the two of us. He said, so what are, you, what are you doing? And I said, well, actually, I'm not really doing much. I'm just a guy named Carl, and we're just trying to, you know, we live here in Beirut. We're just trying to help Lebanon and, and uh, love its people. And, and actually, I'd love to serve you or serve anybody here as much as we can. And my friend here uh, in the parliament said we should study Jesus, so I thought it was a good idea. So we are. He goes, oh. That's fantastic. He goes, do you do that every Tuesday? I said, yeah, we do it every Tuesday. Well, I mean, I said, no, we just started this week, but we're, we're going to do it every Tuesday. He goes, oh, can I come? I said, well, of course, it's your parliament. It's your country. You can do whatever you want. I, you know, it's not my party. So he said, okay, I'll come. And then we talked, talked for about another hour with his family, with his wife. He has five kids. I got up to go, and I said, you know, sir, would you mind? This guy's also, he is also still the leader of the Hezbollah in the parliament of Lebanon. I said, would you mind if I just uh, prayed for you? And he, he was sitting behind his desk. He, he stood up. He jumped up to his feet, put his hands out with his palms up, and said, oh, well, I'd be a fool to turn down prayer. And I said, okay. And I just kind of burst out into a prayer. And I prayed for him. I prayed for his wife. prayed for his five kids by name. I asked them uh, the names. prayed for them by name. I asked him that God would give him authority and wisdom to govern his people in the way that, that he wanted and just asked for God to bless him. I opened my eyes. He had big tears just streaming down his cheek, kind of dripping off of his beard, dripping onto his desk, uh, right right in front of me, you know, two feet in front of me. And he hugged me. He said, I'll see you next Tuesday. He came the next Tuesday. Again, he invited me into his office. Same thing. We talked for about an hour about Jesus. And then I got to leave. I was actually late for an appointment. And uh, he said, wait, 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 wait. Aren't you going to do that thing? And I said, well, what, what thing? He said, you know that thing that it gave me that feeling? And I said, oh, you mean pray? He said, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, aren't you going to pray? I said, oh, well, of course, I'd be honored to. I'm sorry I forgot. I prayed again. He cried again. He hugged me again. He said, Carl, he said, you have to come and do this with the whole Hezbollah block. You have to come and pray with them because we have to have this feeling that I get when you pray. I'm telling you guys, that happens every single time. I mean, it's not an exaggeration. It's not one ounce overstatement. Every time that, that, that we pray with people, that's what, that's what the response is. They tear up, they cry, and they want more because Jesus is powerful. Well, praise the Lord. Yeah. Uh, wow. You know, this reminds me as an embodiment of the verse when Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I'll draw all yep. men unto me. That's one of my favorites right there. Yep. And and you were lifting Jesus up, and all men, you saw them being drawn unto him. I'm telling you, these kinds of stories, I know, almost sound, you know, when I speak at churches or universities or wherever, uh, they're, they're almost incredulous. I mean, people kind of have a hard time swallowing because they've heard so much of the opposite. They've heard, especially like with the Hezbollah, you kind of think, oh, come on. I mean, I, I've met almost all the leadership of the Hezbollah, and we've prayed with all of them. I've given them all Bibles. Uh, we've shared the, you know, the complete gospel with them, you know, several times. I've met with leaders of the Hamas in Palestine, the West Bank. I've met with all kinds of people that we would think of as bad guys. 
I've still not found any door closed to Christ. Jesus opens doors. And uh, politics tend to close them. Religion tends to close them. But Jesus opens them. And I'm not saying, what I don't want to say, I don't want to overstate this, you know, I haven't seen, you know, I haven't seen revival. I haven't seen all the, you know, the Hezbollah and Hamas have not all turned to Christ, you know, yet. But I'll tell you what, they sure are open. And I think with a little bit of work, a little more prayer, a few more laborers, uh, they will. They welcome to Jesus. And the Lord has shown you enough to show that there's fruit, widen, fields widen to harvest if there's laborers yeah. in the field. That's right. He's he's right. given you enough that we're getting down to the last the last few minutes of the show, and we had about seventeen or eighteen questions. I think we've covered at least a good four of them or so. In the, <laughs> we got both of them. In. They, they are in twenty four <laughs> minutes, uh, but you know um, we 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 uh, talk about a lot of things on our show. One of them Bible prophecy and about end times and what the Lord is doing to wrap up things. And, yeah. and things can be pretty scary and grim, particularly in the Middle East, uh, expect yeah. uh, things in time, although we don't know when the Lord will return. We might right. go through seasons of revival and times of peace. But yeah. but if it goes and can progressively gets worse, even in the midst of that, there is a remnant that God is going to call amongst all people to him. And we don't know who those individuals are, but we are going, we're called to share to all those people. I think about the passage in our Old Testament, that talks about how God will have people of his name in Egypt up through Lebanon and Syria, and there will be a highway that goes between those places of the people that love him. I'm paraphrasing. Right. I have Isaiah a, I have, 19. And, and that God sees people that are going to have his name on them throughout those folk, maybe a remnant. Right. But let that be a lesson to each of us, that he sees people that are prepared to have their name on them. And we better look at them that way. Mm-hmm. And there will be Sorry. people, you know, all of our righteousness, whether you're Muslim, Christian, whatever, is like filthy rags when it's done in the flesh. But when he sees people who are broken and contrite of heart, the Lord does not despise that, no matter Sorry. what your religious background is. So mm-hmm. I, I hope this is a lesson for all of us. And we would cert- I'll speak for myself. I'm not speaking for Tom here. But we'd certainly like to have you come back. And share about what fruit the Lord is yeah, doing in your ministry uh, in the well, future. Thanks, guys. Uh, yeah, w- thank you. When you talk to those people in Hezbollah, would you just tell them that we love them? That <laughs> people <laughs> of America you. said that we love them and we care about their families. Uh, we don't want them to misthink about what our motives are with them. And we wish the best for them and the people that they interact with in Lebanon, and even people that disagree with them. Uh, the other other leaders there, even people we may even have closer religious affiliation with. We pray for peace for all of them. Mm. Thank you. And and Brother Carl, um, if we could close here, we're coming up at the end. I was just going to ask if our uh, pastor here would say a word of prayer yeah, for you. Was, yeah. he took would the you? Out of my mouth. Would, would you? Would you mind that, uh, Brother Carl, if we had uh, Pastor Chris <laughs> share Thank a word you. of blessing on you? That'd be great. Okay, share with us here, Pastor Chris. Father, we just thank you so much for this brother and the work that he's doing, Lord. We thank you that uh, you've found him faithful, calling him to the ministry, Lord, and leading him into a place, Lord, that uh, many folks uh, wouldn't really want to go. But, Lord, we know that the people in the Middle East are very precious to you, Lord, and uh, all over the world, Lord, so many folks that just need to find your son. So we praise you for that. We thank you, Lord, for the work that you're doing. We ask your blessing on my brother Carl. We pray that you would open up more doors for him, Lord that uh, he might just be able to speak the name of Jesus. And we know, Lord, that wherever that happens, that uh, 
that uh, Jesus is able to take care of himself and uh, take control of the situation. So bless him and his family and his ministry. Thank you for this time together, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Brother Carl, we're going to have to call it a day here. We thank you for sharing with us. Uh, I guess one thing we should mention is your book. Uh, Can you please tell us the name of your book and how our listeners can get a hold of it? Yeah, it's just it's uh, Muslims, Christians, and Jesus, and you can buy it on Amazon. That's probably the easiest way to to buy it. So, have you had pretty good feedback from people that like the book? Yeah, it's been it's been great. It's sold. It's been out for about two months. It's sold really well. It's already it's uh, it's just going to the third printing. So the publisher Bethany House is really encouraged about that, and I I guess I'm encouraged about that too. I didn't know what to expect, but mm-hmm. it's selling well, and people uh, love it. It's it's, it's actually. It is it is the message that I've just shared with you guys for the last hour and a half. Mm-hmm. It's the same same thing, but just in 190 pages. Uh, and how can they find other materials that you write? Um, actually, the the other best thing, um, uh, kind of the best source would be my website, which is just carlmaderas.com, and okay. um, I have some some DVDs, some training videos on there. I do a, I write a blog on there. I write um, or right now I have. Mm-hmm. Uh, ten, ten, ten dangerous myths about the Middle East, and ten dangerous myths about Muslims. I, I list the ten myths about each of those, and then I, I've, I've just recently, actually, just uh, a couple of days ago, uh, wrote, kind of wrote the what I think are the answers to those myths, you know, in other words, what the what the truth is, not just myth. Mm-hmm. And so that's probably a good way to kind of keep in touch. And my email address is on there, so. Okay. is probably the easiest, and you can also buy the book directly kind of through the website as well. So. Well, if you don't mind, we'll put your link on our uh, site right. here online where the show's linked and archived. Well, uh, thank you. Well. I've really yeah. enjoyed, enjoyed talking with you. I've just appreciated your your hearts. I've just felt the real, that you've been very uh, very sensitive. You're very uh, very nice to me and <laughs> very gracious. Well, we appreciate you, too. <laughs> this, was, this was a hard teaching for me. Yeah, this is something just, I really I to hear. Well, well, thank you. I just, I, I as, as soon as I, um, yeah. Well, I mean, anytime actually, I, I go into an interview of any kind, or speaking at a church, or being interviewed somewhere, uh, anytime there's Q and A, I'm teaching uh, some perspectives classes this next week, and uh, I, I, I know for sure I'm going to say some things that will tweak some people, yeah. and and I really don't want to do that. I mean, that's not my, not my heart or my agenda at all, is to make anybody upset or mad. I, I really want people first and foremost to see to see Jesus more clearly. It's not yeah. not even a mission about Muslims. I mean I you know, in one sense, I mm-hmm. don't I'm not I'm not the Muslim guy. I'm not the guy that goes mm-hmm. around I don't want I don't want it on my grave site, my grave, you know, headstone that Carl loved Muslims. I wanted to say that Carl loved Jesus. And Jesus <laughs> loves Muslims. He's the one that loves them a lot more than I do. <laughs> so right. well uh Carl, if you find yourself in Nashville, uh, please drop in and see us. Our well, fellowship. Yeah, actually, that's uh, funny you say that. <laughs> really? Because, uh, well, I mean, my uh, my agent uh, is in Nashville. Cre- Creative Trust is mm-hmm. the uh, the agency that yeah. represents me. That um, management company, Dan Rains, is the mm-hmm. the head of that. So, Dan and Creative Trust are the the guys that do. I mean, St- Stephen Curtis Chapman and Third Day, a lot of music mm-hmm. groups. They also uh, represent a yeah. few, a handful of authors. Ted Decker uh, being mm-hmm. one of them, and myself so uh, i do need to get down there every once in a while so okay. if i do uh, i'd love to look well, you guys up i'd love that let's, our our, our show copy. our show is broadcast over the am band to a lot of the leadership of major denominations here in nashville a right. lot of your major teaching ministries and they're going to find this really compelling uh and challenging 
And I tell you, if anybody's a regular listener to Future Quake, they know they're tweaked on a regular basis. So this wasn't the first <laughs> tweaking they ever yeah. got and uh, squinching their eyebrows up listening to a show. But our yeah. show is here to cover topics other people are uncomfortable tackling. And we're yeah, serving our part of the kingdom if we're willing to do that. And, you know, with letting yeah. Christians draw their own conclusions. And, in fact, when they read your blog, I would suggest they first listen to this interview, seek your yeah. heart where you're going. Don't jump to conclusions, not just with what Carl says, but what we say on our show or anybody else. Stop and think and pray before you form opinions. And that's good practice any time. Uh, Brother Carl, thank you so much. Please come back and see us, would you? Thank you very much. God bless you guys. God bless you too, and you have a All good right. evening. Thanks, you too. Bye bye. We're back at the Future Quake Show with Dr. Future. And the uh, inevitable, invariable, oh, I was just going to put a bunch of things in there, but just Tom Bionic. <laughs> there you go. Sorry. Were those adjectives or adverbs? Oh, they were just me trying to be funny. Okay. It wouldn't, I, the plane hit the mountain on that one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I give you a B plus for trying. Oh well, thank you. Yeah, thank yeah. You. Well, I'll tell you what. You got a lot of stuff on your mind. And I do too. too. And you know, if we didn't have guests like this, then why would we even bother having a show? You know, that's a good we way had to the put same that. old pablum. Everybody slapping each other's back, and yeah. yeah, let's go get those people. Like, yeah, yeah, buddy, let's go do it. Mm-hmm. We need somebody to come in here and tell us like it is. Yeah. And. uh I hope sometimes maybe we serve that purpose in your life. Uh, if you look at the CAAA group here in Nashville, Christian Action and Sympathy, their, their emblem is a rooster, mm-hmm. and that rooster is supposed to symbolize waking up. And I hope sometimes maybe we ourselves can be woken up and wake yeah. up others, the yes. rest of you in the meantime. Yeah. Um, any last words? We got about 45 seconds or something. I thought like the that. rooster. I thought the rooster. The rooster always makes me think of Kentucky Fried Chicken. Does it really? A little bit, to be honest. <laughs> I'm always. Like, I see the spiritual message in that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, for 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 our listeners, I run a lot, and I, you know, started and had a lot of sit-ups and stuff. So I've been really, really transfixed about food. But seriously, this guy, uh, I hope it's my sincere wish that all of our listeners that the same effect it had on me, uh, it has it has on you. Like I felt really clearly that the Holy Spirit was moving. And it was it wasn't so much I was listening, it was like I was being acted upon and being touched almost by the Holy mm-hmm. Spirit. So hopefully you have that and if not, you know, um you know, still be blessed and, and but we just want to hear from you and hear what you have to say. That's right. Yeah. This was not a show on dealing out the finer points of doctrine, and that's certainly fine. We are big supporters of doctrine and all mm-hmm. these things. This was about hearing God and moving when you see and having a yeah. heart. That God has for people. Yeah. We should say just Nephilim because we haven't said it all week. Yeah, yeah Nephilim. Now it's an official Future yeah. Quake okay. Week. Uh, we got to bring Marvin. Marvin, come and tell our listeners how they can contact us. Future Quake radio broadcasts are archived at www.futurequake.com, suitable for downloading or streaming, as well as other show information. Email Dr. Future and Tom Bionic at drfuture at futurequake.com. That's D R F U T U R E at futurequake.com. Tell us your name, city, and radio station or internet, and if we can use your name on air. Comments on the show's topics or guests or suggestions for future show topics or guests are most welcome. Dr. Future and Tom will discuss selected emails each week during the radio broadcast. Okay, we got 10 seconds. Did you just call him Mervin? Mer- Merv, come in. Oh, I think. I, okay. Um, tomorrow's Tremors. Tomorrow. Woohoo! Let's do it up. Until then, we hope your future is very bright.
Have a good day. Muslim. Join us next time as we dare to experience another aftershock of a future quake. quake, quake. Welcome to the Future Quake Show. I am Dr. Future. And I am Tom Bionic, complete here with uh, Pyro Bennett in studio. As, yeah, uh, all three lap, of us. Lap dog, warming dog. Yeah. <laughs> if we only had a camera in here. You mm. know, today is Friday. Do yes. you know what that means? It means that it's Christmas time. Uh, it's, it would be past Christmas time. Oh, really? For a good bit, yeah. In fact, past New Year's. Oh, okay, all right, all right. It, so it's... It's time to uh, it's time to begin trying to live up to all of your insane New Year's resolutions. Well, I'll, I'll give you a little credit for that. It is tomorrow's tremors or today's review of the future's news. Oh, that was going to be my next guess. And evidently, my uh, wish did not come true for the year that you would remember the name of the show. For Don't Friday. worry, we've got fifty-one other shows to do. Yeah, in about twenty-three and a half minutes now. So all right, well, uh, it's time for news. Indeed, as it Paul is. Harvey would say, "Stand mm-hmm. by for news." Yep, you go. You go first. No, I can't yeah, do that. Yes, you can. Well, you can't go. <laughs> you can't go first. I know. I just. Uh, I just said you go first. All right. Said, no, no. All right. No, well, no, I got no. an interesting one to kick us off. All here. right, man. By the way, ladies and gentlemen, it's wonderful to be back with you with for another year of uh, Future Quake shows. I'm sure Tom feels the same way too. Yeah. Want to thank W E N O. It's wonderful uh, starting the beginning of 2009 with W E N O here. We're happy uh, to be here. Daily on the, on the dial. On the dial, 4 yeah. to 4.30. And uh, it's just one, and all of you listen on the Internet, too. Uh, just thank you, everybody who's stuck with us through all the yeah. years. Brother As, Tom uh, and uh, Brother Tim and uh, Brother Johnny. Chris. Yeah. And Brother Chris. Everybody who helped us uh, get on here. But uh, this is something that started back in the year 2005, yep. and now here we are starting 2009. Now it's, now it's blossomed into... Uh, well, what? Yeah, I'm not sure. Yeah, that's the hard part. Yeah, it's metastasized. <laughs> that's a better word for it. Good point. Uh, I, we hope you enjoyed the interview this week with uh, Carl Medeiros. Yeah. That was a very unique interview. Man, that really that really got me right here. A very uh, yeah. He's pointing to his heart area, by the way, in yeah. case you wonder. Uh, <clears throat> that was a very unique uh, interview and experience. We would like to get some comments from you all about it. Mm-hmm. Um, See how you all felt. Uh, we thought that was it was an important landmark for our show, and mm-hmm. we just like to know what you think. But in the meantime, I've got a story for you. Now, this is interesting where this came from and found. Uh, and I want to thank a couple of our friends of our show who, who also uh, sent a heads up about this story, too. Uh, I believe Joan did and a few other people out there. Uh, S- Sister Joan. Well, you're getting you're getting help, man. That's yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. We got, we got leads out there on the yeah. street. Um <clears throat> And if I forgot anybody, I'm sorry. But this is from a a, a website called Market Watch. Used to be known as CBS Market Watch. Yep. It was. Um, I still go to it to get uh, economic data after reading Mish's blog. Uh-huh. It just has your regular generic, like you know, what's the overseas markets doing right now, or yep. cattle futures, or whatever like that. But it's mm-hmm. a mainstream uh, okay. art. So right here in the middle of MarketWatch.com, uh, uh, here here there's a press release. This is for December 12th. Uh, no explanation. Matreya to unveil soon. Share International reveals Christmas miracle. 
Uh, this is a press release that says from Los Angeles. For years, the world has been filled with miracles of all kinds. In April 1995, Time Magazine devoted an eight-page spread and it's to its cover story on miracles and concluded, the people are hungry for signs. Look now for the biggest miracle of all. In the very near future, a large, bright star will appear in the sky, visible to all through the world, day and night. Wow. Unbelievable fantasy? No, a simple fact. Remember, this is in MarketWatch.com. Wow. Around a week later, Maitreya, the world teacher for all humanity, will begin his open emergence. And, though not yet using the name Maitreya, will be interviewed on a major U.S. television program. In 1988, what? I know, CNN and other media reported <laughs> on Matreya's miraculous appearance to 6,000 people in Nairobi, Kenya mm-hmm. on Saturday, June 11th, 1988. A week before the event, a remarkable sign occurred. Uh, occurred. On Saturday, for, uh, 4 June, a big bright star was sighted, unusually brighter than ordinary stars, reported Kenya Times editor Job Mutungi. Uh, for over 30 years... Well, his name uh, was Job? Job mm-hmm. or job. Uh, for over 30 years, artist, author, and lecturer Benjamin Krim has been preparing the way for the emergence of Maitreya and his group, the Masters of Wisdom. In May 1982, Krim revealed at a packed press conference in Los Angeles that Maitreya had been living in the Asian community of London since July 19, 1977. Awaited by all faiths under different names, Maitreya is the Christ to Christians, the Imam Mahdi to Muslims, Krishna to Hindus, Messiah to Jews, and Maitreya Buddha to Buddhists. He is the world teacher for all, religious or not, and educator in the broadest sense. As a modern man concerned with today's problems, Maitreya works behind the scenes of our changing world. The outpouring of his extraordinary energy has been the stimulus for dramatic developments on many fronts. The ending of the Cold War, the breakup of the Soviet Union, the reunification of Germany, the ending of apartheid in South Africa, the growing power of the people's voice, leading to demands for freedom and justice, and the worldwide focus on preserving the environment. Matreya's message can be summarized as, Share and save the world. He will seek to inspire humanity to see itself as one family, and to create world peace through sharing economic justice and global cooperation. When Matreya and his group work openly in the world, humanity is assured not only of survival, but of the creation of a brilliant new civilization. And they provide a link here at www.share-international.org. Wow. Just a regular run-of-the-mill story, a future question. I was going to say that's weird even for us, but it's like right there on... um, Marketwatch.com. Yeah, that's far out, man. About Maitreya. Far out. Uh, So, uh, of course, you know, uh, the... uh, we're recording this because of the holiday just a wee bit early, so that big star may have already appeared. Maybe he's already been on TV having mm-hmm. this hearing, or not. Well, if he did, I missed it. But then again, as I've... Well, we're not there yet as we're recording this. Oh, we're oh a, yeah, I see what you're time saying. portal yeah. thing. All right, yeah. So, what do you think about that? I uh, I don't know what to think about that. I'm going to have to roll that around in the jelly bean for a little while. Yeah. You know, I've known about this guy since, like, around 1980 or so. When like I was you in, went over to Ada's at his house or what? No, not no, not not buddy buddy. Uh, but no knew of him. Mm-hmm. And uh, when I started college, right in the early eighties, a buddy a and I, with him. no, a buddy and I went to on our local campus a meeting of the Hunger Project, uh-huh. and I had read somewhere that the Hunger Project was one of their little pseudo organizations, including this Share International mm-hmm. for the New Age Movement for Matreya, where they sort of mm-hmm. raised money to do their stuff. And so we went into this huge auditorium on campus, and the guy who was leading it was supposed to be about world hunger, 
And as he starts talking a little bit about world hunger, then he says, well, we all need to center ourselves, and we all need to have some kind of thing to be able to understand what's going to happen. And uh, I hadn't been exposed to New Age stuff, so it was sort of spooky. So my friend and I, as college students, just prayed, asked the Lord to protect us. Yeah. And then they began talking basically a political agenda. It was a political agenda to merge world's governments and things like this. Wow. Back in the early 80s, it's the same groups. Not surprising the, in the least. Same groups affiliated. Uh, this uh, Lord Maitreya uh, was talked about in uh, one of Chris Pinto's documentaries. Uh, yeah, I've heard Riddles and Stone, yeah. maybe. And, I think, uh, I think he, Peter Goodgame had something to say about him, yeah, too. Yeah, but uh, he interviewed uh, Benjamin Krim. Actually, Chris Pinto was able to... He, he's been on major TV. He's, he's mm-hmm. on Coast to Coast occasionally. As mm-hmm. his, sort of his John the Baptist. I see. Making the way straight, yeah, quote, right. unquote. For a long time. Quote, unquote. <laughs> the, the thinking was he was going to be here a long time ago showing himself other than that Nairobi yeah. visit. Yeah, yeah he's so, not in a rush. No. You know? No. So, is it so my top turn? that one, buddy. All right. Well, I don't think I can top that one, but I do have an interesting one. All right. Uh, this burglar picks the, quote, unquote, wrong house and... Kamanon, Malaysia, a burglar entered a house turned grocery shop. Is there an, it's like a newspaper article thing on there? Yeah. Or citation? Yes. It's uh, uh, from Weird Asia News. Okay. That's where I got this. So they call stuff from different newspapers throughout Asia. Yeah. And pull yeah. It. Okay. Yeah. Kind of like we do. Sort of, yeah. Yeah. Unless, just, unless you wrote that story. <laughs> no, no, I didn't write it. We're just weirdgenericnews.com. Yeah. yeah. Um, and anyway, Kamanon, the... Uh, this happened in Kimanon, Malaysia. A burglar entered a house-turned-grocery shop thinking he was in for a killing. He nearly got himself killed instead. The owner, who was away to celebrate Hari Raya Haji, returned home yesterday morning to find the burglar trapped in the house for 72 hours without food and water. The intruder was fatigued and dehydrated when the owner and his wife returned to the shop in Kapung Pinjai from their hometown of Kota Baru. The couple in the early 50s found the burglar lying in a room, clasping his hands in an apologetic gesture for his wrongdoing. The owner, instead of calling police, decided to call an ambulance to rush the burglar to the nearest hospital. When interrogated later, the 36-year-old burglar told investigating officers that he had sneaked into the house after realizing the owner was out. The burglar who entered the cave via, or who entered via uh, the back door claimed that he was blinded uh, once he was inside and felt like he was in a cave. Each time I wanted to flee, I felt a supernatural figure shove me to the ground, he told the police. Uh, he claimed that this was the first time experiencing such trauma during a break-in. I'd imagine so. Yeah, because you wouldn't be doing it the second time. Yeah. yeah. The burglar had no choice to, but, to, but to stay put in the room for three days, as his shouts for help were in vain. Uh, because, you know, he's in the room and nobody can hear him. Right. Uh, Kimanon, Deputy Police Chief... Uh, Sept Abdul Marluk Hakim Johar. Oh, I remember him. Yeah. Said the couple lodged a police report on the same day, and he said the burglar was warded at Kimanon Hospital and his condition was stable. So Mm. basically, this guy broke into the house, and a supernatural force Mm. uh, kept him down. Wow. Blinded him, shoved him to the ground. You You know the motto of that story? Don't break into houses? Well... You better go on and be celebrating Hari Ri Raja, like the other people. Hari Raja Haji? That too. Yeah. Yeah. Rather than, you know, that sounds like an incredible security system. I know. Since you've had some background in that I was field. thinking, I, you know, my wheels were spinning on, like, how to do that. There, there's certain ethical. Supernatural ethical security. <laughs> with that, you know, being yeah. Christian and all, and, you know. 
yeah. totally sold out to the Lord. But yeah, if I could develop that somehow, that'd be great. You mean like developing gin or something that would actually protect the place? Yeah, yeah, like mojo. That's really interesting. Force That's... field around the. You know, we may be hearing more stories of strange stuff like this. Yeah, I'm I'm sure we you are. Know? It's the fig tree buds. Now, now there you go. Back to the fig trees. More, more little appearances of. Yeah. Well, I think we're in for. I think we're in for a particularly rough thing here. Yeah. I think it's. I think it's going to get really crazy really quick. I talked to Sharon Gilbert today oh, from uh, to Peering into Darkness Radio, yeah. and uh, <clears throat> one thing she kept saying over and over again is, her, her and Derek feel like um, it's. It's going to get real bad at least by the middle of this year, 2009. Yeah, well, I talked I to a... I that's sort of their prediction. Well, I'll say this I'll say this out there on the radio, and people can tell, tell them, you know, think what you want about it. But uh, a very good friend of mine who I'm close to had a, uh, uh, what he describes as a, uh, like some type of, a, like Ezekiel-style experience. And, you know, he saw that things were going to get bad very soon. He's Christian. Christian. Oh, yeah. All right. All right. Yeah. Very Christian, and he said that you know by the middle of February things were getting were going to go be going haywire, mm. and uh, he described his circumstances as you know like you know, wandering around his you know house mm-hmm. and looking out the window and like you know the house across the street was all bombed out looking and you know wow yeah he lives up here in Goodlettsville so wow the uh, scary. And I I don't doubt that he, I say that because I don't doubt that he experienced it, mm-hmm. you know, that doesn't, you know, who knows what it really means, you know, there's supposed to be two for interpretation and all that right, stuff. Right, right. You know, uh, the interpretation could be, could be bad, but um, oh. the fact that it's sort of lined up with other, other people having experiences similar to that, um, I just felt like I should throw that out there and the audience can take what they want of it, yeah. you know, and, uh, but hopefully they... A few weeks, prud- will, a few weeks will know. Hopefully, they'll do the prudent thing and go and buy lots of rice and beans with uh, olive oil or or vegetable shortening or something. Mm-hmm. Because you can't eat just rice and beans; you have to have a fat source. Because the government tells us to do this right now. The government <coughs> is saying it's prudent. Well, that's almost a disincentive for me. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. But I'm just saying, if people look at you weird, yeah, you can. Oh, people look at me that. weird all the time. <coughs> well, I'm, I'm there with you, buddy. Yeah. Why don't we, you give us another story? Well, you want something just a little bit more mainstream and mundane. After the, well, the, the last story was on Market ones. Watch, you know. Yeah, yeah. Well, here's another one. Uh, let's see. Battle, uh, battle begins for Throne of This World: The Return of the Injahar Warriors. World shipping comes to a halt as global navies prepare for unprecedented confrontation. Uh, this is a link uh, from Sorsha Fall, uh, as reported to her Western subscribers. I think this is from a Mexican news source. Sorsha Fall is is reported many places on the web. Now, I believe Stan Deo actually said that she might be KGB. Oh, did he quote this person? That that rings a bell now. Yeah, I I believe that he called Sorsha Fall a KGB agent. So I'm providing disinformation. Well, you know, our our listeners are discerning. Great. So just take that for what it's worth. Go listen to Stan Deo, and then then use that to to listen to this. Take this as feasible disinformation, okay? Of the numerous, it's interesting nevertheless, of the numerous reports we've been able to access from some of the world's most secret intelligence archives, the strangest have always been those from Russia's interior ministry, 
which, though not controlled by the Soviets anymore, is still believed to be at the forefront into the research of extra and strange science subjects, such as UFOs, psychic powers, remote viewing. The, uh, the first time these deepest secrets of the Soviet Interior Ministry were revealed in the world was in the 1970s with the publication of Psychic Discoveries Behind the Iron Curtain by Canadian-American researchers Sheila Ostrander and Lynn Schroeder, which, according to the Russian Environmental and Civil Liberties Group Ecology and Living and Environment, uh, the research of these projects is still continuing today. But what caught our attention today, to put it mildly, is a combined Russia Interior Ministry FSB report circulating in the Kremlin today that states that our world's navies are about to engage in unprecedented hostilities with the giant founders of the ancient biblical Garden of Eden to prevent our planet from being recolonized by an alien race most probably known as the Anunnaki or Nephilim, whose ancient Babylonian texts uh, state they are the watchers over the earth. All right. Uh. Uh, what, makes this, <laughs> what makes this report even more disturbing is that these very words are being, as they're being written, naval forces from all around the globe are now converging on the Gulf of Aden, the area historically described as the freshwater river that left Eden and split into four heads of branches based upon archaic notions of a great river encircling the world. Um, and which is the exact location given by these ancient Babylonian texts for the location of the main undersea base of these watchers. Now, this gulf is close to the Horn of Somalia, from what I remember. Yeah, it's right well, next didn't, to it. Didn't, didn't, we were sitting there having dinner. Didn't we just see a uh, news report about, uh, on, I guess it was Fox, where they were having some hostilities there and there were a bunch of naval ships in the area? Mm-hmm. So. Right. Well, I mean, some people think it's because of pirates, but now we're hearing the real story. Turns out the pirates are Nephilim. <clears throat> yeah. They needed a well. 500 BMWs. <laughs> well, uh, let's see. Where, where am I left here? Global naval forces uh, currently streaming towards already in the Gulf of Aden include friends and foes alike. The United States, Iran, China, Russia, Germany, European Union, and India under what these reports states is the cover story of protecting the shipping lanes of that region from the U.S.-backed pirates operating out of Somalia. Mm. Uh, current news from this region are also appearing to show that hostilities have already begun between our Earth's defense forces and the Watchers, uh, as like the United States' last attempt to attack these aliens by themselves this past January, has once again resulted in massive cuts by the Watchers to many undersea communication cables laying on the sea floors of this region which have now isolated large parts of the Middle East and the subcontinent. Uh, this answers a lot of questions. In this, To the worst fears confronting our Earth's defense forces, these reports continue as a repeat of the catastrophic events that occurred on December 26, 2004, when the American nuclear attack submarine USS San Francisco attempted to launch an attack against an undersea watcher base in the Indian floor, causing these aliens to retaliate by raising the seafloor over 100 meters. Uh, which the USS San Francisco then slammed into, but which also caused the cataclysmic tsunami, uh, which killed over 250,000. And the earthquake laterally changed the orbit of the entire planet. Uh, here in conclusion, the Earth Defense Forces, in apparent bid to mitigate any further such retaliations against them, have ordered a near halt to shipping on all our world's oceans, which has been confirmed by the reports issued on the Baltic I Exchange Dry Index. Uh, which shows that global shipping <laughs> is it. now grinding to a near halt. I can't take it. Over, see, this all ties back to Mish. Uh, it's now grinding to a near halt as over 93% of all cargo ships have been recalled to their ports. 
It should be noted that as hard as these reports may be to believe by the average propaganda-filled person, I guess it would be you and me, yeah. uh, the threat to our planet by these watchers has been known to all the world's powers for many years. Yes, and of course. one of the first mass sightings being given to our human race by American President Ronald Reagan. On he was a Nephilim? Well, no, he didn't say that. On September 21st, 1987, stated before the United Nations, in our obsession with antagonisms of the moment, we often forget how much unites all the members of humanity. Perhaps we need some outside universal threat to make us recognize this common bond. I occasionally think how quickly our differences worldwide would vanish if we were facing an alien threat from outside this world. That's a real quote from Reagan. Wow. Well, um, I'm going to have to say that I don't believe a word of that. <laughs> I, I just don't know what else to say. <laughs> Sorry, man. And we've even defied your... Which, I, like, you know, but I'll, that explained this whole cover story about the pirates. It explained the tsunami mm-hmm. and the recent results. Mish and others are reported on the Baltic Dry Index. It's very it's interesting that they, it's very interesting that uh, our government was so resourceful in seeing this 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 fight that they backdated ten years, you know, uh, cheap money and credit, and uh, to so that we could build this thing up and then. As credit is being destroyed, it conveniently coincides with their, with their uh, the Nephilim disrupting the Baltic Dry Index. So it doesn't, you know, it's very, very. It's not like the first time they've interacted with them, evidently. <clears throat> it's true. Well, take it for what it is. I find it interesting that, you know, we're finding more references to Nephilim in the strangest places. Oh yeah, sure, certainly. I'm not surprised. So. I don't. I don't think if any of our listeners are in that area, Future Quake, we we have literally thousands of international listeners on Future Quake. Thousands? Uh, yes. Wow. But that's what our records show on the internet. That's killer. Um, if you are in that area, if KGB. you can get us any any independent data, uh, we would certainly appreciate it like that. Yeah, you know, if you wanted to send us some far out news stories from your region of the world, yeah. we'll. Uh, well, want, I was mainly looking for a Nephilim base is what oh. I was getting at. Oh, I was going to. Well, that too. You want to find like a Nephilim head, you know? Box it up and send it to us. Speaking of Nephilim head, uh, it looks like uh, for now all systems go for me to be over in Nephilim stomping grounds uh, up up in the upper regions of uh, Bashan in Israel, up where the Rephaim were in the Bible. Og, king of Bashan, Mm -hmm. the uh, guy with the 18-foot long bed. You may want to bring your uh, sling. Yeah, it would come in handy. Um, I'm going to be there a week before... Um, <clears throat> week before inauguration. So, wow. appreciate everybody's prayers. Yeah. yeah on a serious front, uh, <clears throat> obviously things are extremely tense over there right now. Mm-hmm. Um, be be right by the Golan Heights. Probably see, may see some tanks up on top of the hill. I don't know from the other side. And, wow. Uh, like Lebanese Hezbollah tanks. Well, yeah, Syrian. Syrian it's the Syria Syria border, and then the Lebanese border is about ten miles north of there. Oh, okay. So it's right up that little corner up there. Wow, you uh, are like, you're you're like in the middle of it. Taking the tough ride. Yeah, you could like be throwing rocks and start an international incident. Even even accidentally. Yeah. Just like my normal faux pas. (laughs) (laughs) You know, you may find in back in the Old Testament something that you could tie to Doctor Future is like the catalyst. Yeah. That starts it. Well, as long as you don't try and like blot out the sun or anything i, think I would say the isaiah uh, chapter with the destruction of damascus is probably the most likely scenario. i could see you just stomping your way up to damascus I could, yeah well i just think that's probably the more likely big prophesied battle over there 
Well, it sets up later for Gog Magog. But well, that's just me. No, well, it could be. Uh, the the bad thing it says the glory of Jacob will fade during that time, mm-hmm. and that uh, people will be as rare as the gold of Ophir. Which means there's going to be a lot of casualties from that war, even would, though Damascus is wiped out. Well, it's interesting you mention that because there's been a lot of discussion in some of the people that, that I listen to. Uh, I don't know, the, the different prophecy scholars and stuff that I've listened to lately. I've always missed the whole idea of like some type of final cataclysm before we get to um, you know, whatever we get to, that final 70th week. Mm-hmm. Um, and now that we're seeing all this stuff, it's kind of like looking like it. You know, right. Here right. comes the big tough ride. Well, I'd appreciate everybody's prayers. In yeah. fact, the time this airs, I'll be getting ready to go over there. Yeah. So um, anyway, we'll there leave it go. at that. We've got we've got just less than that. We better bring Merv in. Okay. Speaking of Nephilim heads, <laughs> that's <laughs> but he's our Nephilim. Yeah. Uh, Merv, won't you come in and tell our listeners how they can contact us and let us know what they think about Future Quake? Future Quake radio broadcasts are archived at www.futurequake.com, suitable for downloading or streaming, as well as other show information. Email Dr. Future and Tom Bionic at drfuture at futurequake.com. That's D-R-F-U-T-U-R-E at futurequake.com. Tell us your name, city, and radio station or internet, and if we can use your name on air. Comments on the shows, topics, or guests, or suggestions for future show topics or guests are most welcome. Dr. Future and Tom will discuss selected emails each week during the radio broadcast. All right, we're down to the last 30, 40 seconds. Sorry, okay. we our no, no, stories no. went quickly. I'll just uh, I'll just do the uh, headline here, and then we All can right. laugh about it. CalPERS, which is the California Public Employees Retirement System, announced a new milestone in pension pension plan incompetence today by admitting losses uh, of 103 percent in its residential investments. All right, there you go. So we're laughing at their. Uh, burning of the pension of the people there. I just, like, I can't believe the insane mismanagement to be able to lose 103%. And that's crazier than all the other stories we've had today. Well... That ends on a crescendo. Yeah, it's like a hitting the big gong. Because that's reality. Strong. Well, we're in for a weird week, but I mean a weird year, excuse me, but we got to go. All right. <clears throat> we got some great guests the next few weeks, and so... Be sure and come back and check it out with us. Yeah. And until next week, we hope your future is very bright. Sayonara. Have a good day. Join us next time as we dare to experience another aftershock of a future quake. 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 There are new dreams crowding out old realities. There's revolution sweeping it like a fresh new breeze. There's the old